2: And, of course, In the Room, featuring Pro Wrestling Illustrated's Brady Hicks and WCW alum, The Maestro. And, by the way, both of these shows take callers live during the show. What are you waiting for? Go listen live right now at vocnation.com and subscribe to all of our podcasts by searching for VOC Nation Radio Network on your favorite podcast app. Oh, and follow them on Twitter, too, at VOC Nation. All right, you guys, podcast time. We got the equipment
0: and the perfect business plan. Give our show away for free and tell no one how to find it. Ready? Get in there. Not a you will deal with that atlas harshly. Fight forever, Guardian. Yeah. I think you broke it. Don't you marry me don't. And you're listening to Hell in a Cell Radio. The Hell in a Cell Talk Radio. Hell in a Cell Radio. Hell in a Cell Talk Radio.
2: Hell in a Cell Talk Radio.
0: Okay, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to HIC. We're going to do a quick intro. HIC Talk Radio. You know where it is. You know where to find it. You know how to download it. I'm Dan Craigs with me, and we have a special guest. Uh, I've been waiting. The short story of asking for interviews is, believe it or not, I have severe anxiety. I know shocking. But it takes me about a month to ask somebody to do an interview. And this was about a month, and I was like, yeah, of course. Ah, then the anxiety comes out. But uh, I'm really excited for this one. We've only met uh, once or twice. Uh, But we were kind of part of the same world for a little while, but not really young. Yeah. We we talked about this. But it's from Fight Club Pro Wrestling. Fight Club, with a one. Look them up on uh, we're going to talk about them as well because uh, we're talking, especially that title belt, and it- we're going to talk about that also in this interview because I want to plug the hell out of Fight Club. But it's Chris Kazama. Chris, how are you?
1: Thank you for having me. I'm very excited for, to be here to talk to you face-to-face and uh, just so we can talk. That's, that's really what we're here for, I guess, is so that way we...
0: Talk. Yeah, talk. The way we're, we're saying the word talk is, uh, as the kids say, because I'm an old man, is spill the tea. <laughs> it sounds so dirty when I say it. No, but uh, so softball it. I said I was going to softball it uh, at first, so I'm just going to throw this out there. Uh, how did you get, when and how did you get into watching wrestling and how did that involve evolve into you getting involved with wrestling? That's how I wanted to say it.
1: So, my road to wrestling is, like, extra weird, right? Um, I have not specifically how far back it was. I know my mom uh, would let me watch, like, Back Down when I could get my hands on it. But Dad would let me watch, like, he had tapes of, like, wrestling and romance. And I'm like, oh, this is kind of cool because they're really beating the snot out of each other. And so then I would, like, visit him for the summer. And... I would watch those tapes and then I come back and I'm watching Spank and I was like, okay, I get that there's a difference in style. And that was the first time that I'm aware of like, oh, this is like be on the up and up, but this was like really cool that like, this is almost like an art form. Yeah. And so um, at 16, uh, I moved to, well, at 15 I moved to DC, but at 16, I meet a group of one day I decide, let's uh, start a backyard set. And that backyard fed lasted uh, 17 minutes. Like, we had one match, <laughs> and then we never got back to, like, running shows. And, um, but then when I turned 19, so this is 2009, I created something called DCW Destroy Everything. It was, like, I wanted to be a professional wrestler. I wanted to be a pro wrestler. But being from D.C., Maryland, in 2009, Maryland, like Baltimore it seemed like... Crossing the Red Sea to get to it felt like a voyage to to the idea of going to Baltimore, and it's like an hour away from DC. And now that I'm an adult, like I realized that I probably could have made it, yeah. but like as an 18 or 19 year old kid who comes from poverty, who is hopping the rails to get on the subway train. Like, the idea to get to Baltimore, it's like, okay, I've got to pack, like, some clothes for six days. I've got to get a llama. I need a Sherpa. I just need an assortment of things that I just can't get to because there's no way for me to get there. So, we created this backyard wrestling company um, called DCW, and it was like, we're going to just be the most DC-centric backyard company of all time. We didn't have, like, mats. We went to free uh, to Franklin Square Park, which is, like, right in the heart of, like, the business center of DC, and we took orange combs and we made corners, and we had pretend invisible ropes, and we're like, our ages were like sixteen to like there's a twenty eight year old who used to wrestle with us, so sixteen to twenty eight year olds, was like and we're just having matches, right? We're just wrestling and we're suplexing on ass and we're bump. Like, there, there is video out there, like there's a YouTube channel, so if at any point you want to go check it out, like you can, but like we're just really going for it. And so eventually, though, like, I end up becoming friends with, like, all of these people. And I'm still, at the time, I'm still yarding. And I'm taking some pro appearances here and there because I did end up eventually, like, going in my 20s, going to get trained. But I'm still yarding because my passion is backyard wrestling because of the freedom of expression that you get. You get to create everything yourself. It's so DIY. And that's kind of how I come up. Um, So I'm just passionate, passionate, passionate. And throwing all this passion and learning how to video edit and learning how to do commentary and learning how to put shows together and putting ideas together. So eventually, uh, 2018 comes. And I book my last... So like two years ago, actually, now I'm thinking about it. I book my last Backyard Wrestling show. And uh, uh, John comes up to me, is the owner of Fight Club and the Pan-African World Diaspora Wrestling Championship. Uh, John comes up to me and he says I'm thinking about starting this project would you help me out and I said yeah we'll start a team and so we started a GoFundMe for the belt we got the belt made and um, we get a partnership with another company called C3W um, and we they, they come to us because we're going out and we're touching base with all these federations and mind you like I'm, I'm fresh from backyard Wrestling. What year like, is this now when I, it
0: starts? This You're is
1: 2018 when this like idea starts. Right, this right, is two gotcha. years ago.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, so 2018, we have a year-long Kickstarter to get the belt. 2019 comes uh, and we get the belt. John uh, shows us the belt and um, we decide, okay, well, we're not going to be a Fed. We don't want to be a company. That's too much work. I don't know how to book for uh, is try trying to establish all these people. Plus, at this, at this time, he's also wrestling. Like, he's on the NBC, and he's trying to do his thing. Um, so we go to C3W, and they're like, hey, yeah, uh, why don't we do this? You'll get three shows with us, and you'll get two shows, two tournament shows, and then the final show, and then we'll go from there. You help us out. You scratch your back. You scratch mine. And so on uh, October twenty or August twenty fifth, twenty nineteen, the day after my birthday, twenty nineteen, um, they have a show, um, and our belt is on it, and all these other people that we had no say in were also on the show because they were talented. They had booked. Yeah. Um, and so now like Ellsworth is on this show, and uh, there's another guy that I I we we don't like and I don't want to just I'm not trying to burn burn bridges here but his name rhymes with again um (laughs) and he was on that show and we just don't like him Ah. um so we were like okay and mind you like we've established relationships with him already so like we're already past like okay well let's talk it out now we're done so then we go okay well let's you know let's refocus we'll sit down and we'll talk to c3w about the second show now John has helped this company also monetarily because we're promised three shows And John's like, all right, well, I've I've got this money to help out. So here's this block. You give us these three shows and we'll do what we do on our side. You do what you do on your side and we'll just put it together. We'll come show time. Come time for the second show. They're like, okay, well, we're, we're done. You don't get the first show and you're going to get part of the second show. And John is like, well, I gave this money. And and mind you, this is like not very far off from us. Me having a panel at Blurcon, and I'm talking about black wrestling, and uh, G Postal walks his uh, the guns that block the sun, he walks those guns into my panel, and I'm like, alright, well cool, we got an established relationship with him, whatever, you get it. And he just promotes C3W. We're trying to promote the belt, he promotes C3W, so now it's like, okay, we've already kind of stepped some boundaries, and now you're just being a habitual line stepper. So we decided you know what let's run one show let's run one show since we can't get this other show we'll use the c3w show as a final and we'll run our show uh just to have the the the, the, the stop gap. so to tell the story one off show we had no plans to keep going we'll book it in october and so we tell c3w and they're like okay cool You do that, and we'll help you, too. We'll throw some money at you. We'll get a ring at you. We'll we'll bring our uh, audio equipment. Like, we'll really help you out. So I said, all right, cool. So as the time grows closer, John is not getting in contact with the people at C3W. They're ghosting them. They're ghosting them. And John is like, all right, you know what? We're going to put this show together. We're going to have to do it ourselves. We're going to have to brand it as something. So he brainstormed for a while, and our designer, I believe, uh, came up with Fight Club Pro Wrestling. And we deciphered it and came up with uh, what the name meant to us and how we would portray this product. And so, again, though, this is supposed to be a one-off thing, because even even though we're like, okay, we need the branding, we have got this relationship with C3W. Well, eventually, as the show goes closer we don't get their ring we don't get their music we don't get their money they have stopped texting john altogether as a matter of fact we end up getting a text from him the day after the show saying that his grandmother was in the hospital and that that's the reason why he ghosted us. but also he then uh six months later fired us and gave us a termination letter that was dated four days or two days before the show date that he was supposed to help us out with but i digress so (sighs) we were going to finish uh do this product and we have the first show and we sell, I think, 44 tickets. And the main event is Mr. Grimm versus Freddie Yehai, And we have a blast. Like, all my friends are there. There's some people that I don't know that are there. Uh, and, like, people are, like, just word of mouth, just straight up word of mouth. Like, we're having a show in a month. This It's in D.C. Here's some tickets, which I'll try to do. And people showed up. And we run that first show. And we're like, okay, well, let's, let's try this again. But let's put some more thought into it. And then it just came into, okay, well, do we is this something that we want to do permanently? Do we want to be an actual federation? And I'd love to say that fight club was made out of love and spite. And that's love of people who shouldn't be in positions because of the way their views and how awful their views are and how awful the things they've done, but also in spite of that, because we want to prove that you can promote wrestling without being a piece of shit because we've dealt with pieces of shit before. So we know what it's like on that end. And we also know what it's like to be to deal with pieces of shit because we're young people of color who have dealt with that all our lives. And so let's not let's let's make this an inclusive place and let's keep this going. And we just decided to keep going, and that's how Fight Club came to pass.
0: It's it's funny because you like I'm on wrestling social media a lot, probably too much, especially nowadays. Same. Um, yeah, no, I I know we've crossed. We have purposely crossed past many times. <laughs> um,
1: yeah.
0: <laughs> but uh, I don't know if we want to mention that first one, but it, was, uh, it, it had to do with Nyla Rose. We'll talk about that later. What's yeah, that we, we can mention
1: anything. I'm down.
0: It started there. Um, but it was like, for me, because, you know, involved with Nova, and then that was gone, which we won't talk about this one. <laughs> and then prime time was there, which we won't talk about that at the end of that one. Well, well we might, but um, it was like you guys weren't there, and then all of a sudden you were there. And everybody that I have been bridging relationships with in the last two years were talking about you and getting other people to talk about you guys. And it was it was sudden, and then pandemic. But that's cutting the short story. Yeah, um, but
1: yeah no you're you're absolutely right though like we we like i said our first show we show we sold like 44 tickets and that might be off i might be off by like 10 either way like up or down but like our first show didn't do that great like put and we put it out for free on youtube so like people could see it because we thought that was the road to go we didn't have the iw thing yet and so we just decided though like you know what if, if 44 people are gonna watch this if 44 people are gonna pay to see this if we can keep this below our means fuck okay, it, we're going to entertain these 44 people and we're going to put it on YouTube and at least we're going to say that we were able to put on a cool product that, that blocked all that other bullshit that didn't need to be there. Uh,
0: well, first of all, uh, again, just to cut to the chase. The chase. I can't speak tonight. Good luck, Dan. <laughs> it's every night, really. Um, this is the most gorgeous wrestling title belt, in my opinion. The Pan-African Championship, I believe mm-hmm. I'm getting the name right. Yes. Uh, most beautiful title belt in independent... In re- uh, it, it's top 10 in wrestling right now, uh, as far as active titles. Uh, certainly beats the pants off of the TNT Championship. <laughs> but this so most that's, gorgeous that's belt... Uh, well, that's true, yes. But that it's one of the most beautiful title belts I've ever seen. And that's when I started also noticing people going... Well, that belt's kind of what's what's this belt from? Yeah, <laughs> searching you out. It was literally an image <laughs> that people found. You know, it was it was so fun to watch that get retweeted over and over again when that belt was first taken a picture of.
1: Yeah, uh, even for me. So, uh, just to to talk about how that belt came to creation, uh, I always will say that I am the least talented person in of. Uh, how many of us are there? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. I think there's seven of us. I'm the least talented of the seven. Like <laughs> John is uh, an incredible author. He's uh, he has a book out. He has a comic book out. Um, he's an animator. He he has an incredible job. Um, Latif, who is the person that uh, designed the belt, is an illustrated author. He's an author. He's got uh, time. He's got books out. Um, Tyreek is an insane gamer. He has a job that is incredibly taxing and he's able, still able to do this. Jamila ran a company uh, similar to the way I did. Um, and she was out booking churches on her own and doing all that stuff for these shows. Tyler Fopp is a going to school to be an engineer while he's doing all this stuff like he's his semester just ended today. I and by far and away, the least talented. I just get really high and say, this wrestler should fight this wrestler. And it'd be cool. Like, I am the least talented of the seven. So, <laughs>
0: what an irony. I'm the least talented on this show. <laughs> 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 Listen, getting high and just making decisions is, is better than a lot of bookers, okay? Just saying. Um, well, we put these ideas out there and
1: let's do it and see if it works.
0: I'm going to get a picture of the belt up here. Um, so just to um, make a long story short, you guys are running and will be running. I saw the tweet. I was trying not to bury the lead, but you will be coming back soon, it looks like. Uh,
1: A little bit sooner than, uh, yeah, like not not extra soon, but we've got some stuff that we've just talked about that we're lining up for Once we believe herd immunity should start, once people hopefully cross your hearts, dot your eyes, please, hopefully, please, get the vaccine, um, then we can start moving forward and and doing some cool stuff again.
0: All right. Before we go on, I want to do this real quick. I want to show everybody the belt. And because it's not a perfect system, it takes a second. That's fine. Go boom. There we go. I'm going to make that the spotlight video. Look at that. Look at that, Craig! Do you see Greener that? than I'll ever I be. Do, I love it. Uh, just the gr- well, not only what it stands for, man, but that green background is <laughs> yeah. fucking fire.
3: The detail is, uh, is amazing. Oh, love it. Well done. Well done, Craig. Uh, I, I just
1: I I have nothing to do with that. Uh, Latif Reed uh, designed the belt, and he did an amazing job. Uh, belts by Dan uh, is I believe who actually molded the belt.
0: I was about to say belts by Dan is like, Craig. It's Reg. It's it's it's, it's, it's Reg. It's, it's Park's quality. Yeah, it, yeah. It, it's who Reggie yeah. Park. It's the heir apparent. He is the heir apparent to. Or they that are. thing
1: is heavy, man. That thing is not <laughs> light at all.
3: Well, that's what a good belt should be. It should be heavy.
1: Yeah, no, it is. Let me tell you something. You know, like when you used to get hit with the like Intercontinental title, and oh, okay, he got hit with the Intercontinental title. And he's out for some. If you get hit with this Pan africa belt, you. will You'll be asleep for a couple of days. Okay.
0: <laughs> That's what it should be. It should be heavy.
3: Yeah. I mean, it's called, I think it's it's heavy as all yeah, it's, it's called the 10 pounds of gold for a
1: reason. I think it might be a little bit more than that. Okay. <laughs> Just but being honest.
3: It's called the 50
1: pounds of gold for a reason.
0: Uh, it might be, honestly. It's,
1: it's, it's like carrying around a small child. Okay.
0: Well, it depends. If it's this, like... If it's a small child like me, it's very heavy. Thank you. <laughs> hey... Wah, wah, wah. <laughs> uh, your current uh, that's the other thing about this championship it is not a men's belt it is no, no. a title belt period and which and the purple flavor first of all purple flavored trash Perp uh, in the chat says uh, who cares about burning bridges what have you done for me lately kind of Almost thing nice. and I said "Well, hold on, oh, hold on. and uh, the other thing and he uh, they just mentioned uh Trish the champion trish adora mm-hmm. what a champion <laughs> uh, <laughs> I have as perp says she gangsta I've seen her wrestle men women in mixed uh in uh, uh, uh three uh, triple I can't talk, my god triple threat matches <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry I was watching sting be old on TV uh I'm, <laughs> Triple threat matches. God, One of like the bet. What happened? Would you say?
1: No, nothing. i This is not a sting slander podcast. Not
0: listen, yet. listen. <laughs> I am the. I was a little stinger. I am a sting mark. But even uh-uh. he came out the other day, and I said, "Okay."
1: Sting sure. is 127 years old. I, I have no. I have no desire to see him on my TV at all. None whatsoever.
0: We'll be getting into that in a second. <laughs> uh, but, uh, like uh, I just, there's very few companies taking, which is what we're talking about today, where it is convictions and accountability and actually putting money where your mouth is, where uh, fight club pro is absolutely doing that. Trisha Dora is the champion period, not the woman's champion, not the man's champion champion period. And anybody can challenge for it, any walk of life, any color, any sexuality, like this, this company is what the future of wrestling is going to have to be if it wants to survive because right now it's on fire, which we'll be talking about in a second.
1: <laughs> it is a burning building, yeah. We, um, we had the goal that we didn't want divisions. Um, there is no such thing as intergender wrestling, it's wrestling. Um, because putting an intergender, putting making a match intergender or saying intergender wrestling is putting such an unfair box on the match itself because if you just announce that this person is fixing this person, you don't inherently believe that things that may have been fed to us as wrestling fans over the generations of watching televised wrestling where women are inferior to men, um, that's, that's not how it should be. And also on top of that, it's not even accounting for people who, have, uh, who are non-binary. So why would we put things in a box when we could just say this person is wrestling this person and it's going to be a as fuck match i'm pretty sure you'd rather watch that than if i labeled uh man a versus woman b in a intergender match which screen, screen special attraction every match is a special attraction because who's in it not the label you put on it and that's the mindset that we have wrestling is already an abstract enough idea because wrestling could be anything in what you want it to be in the constructs of um, in the constructs of wrestling it sounds redundant I know just get really high and think about what I said I promise you it (laughs) will make sense but wrestling doesn't deserve to be in a box and we believe that uh, we're like the taco bill of wrestling Like, don't put it in a bun wrestling doesn't deserve to be in a bun
0: Yes, he spoke to the fat kid. Yeah.
1: I, I mean, well. Uh, well, yeah, well,
0: yeah, wow. Well. <laughs> hey, Teddy, I'm up a promotion. little portly. No, you're, no. That's like, I let, when trolls go, okay, fatty, I'm like, oh, yeah, did you think, <sighs> wow, wow, mind-blowing.
1: I'm eating as you type that.
0: <laughs> yeah, I was having 13 cookies as you were insulting yeah. me in my don't give a fuck. <laughs>
1: Squidward uh, always... uh, Squidward said I've heard better comebacks from a turkey sandwich and I've kept that in the arsenal for about 17 years now.
0: (laughs) Oh, man. I'm stealing that one. I'm just letting you know. Um, Craig, before I... uh, Do you have anything you wanted to ask before we move on?
3: Uh, No, Chris. It's it's great to hear your story. Um, uh, I had no idea this even existed. Um, So you've made a new fan and um Thank hopefully you. you've, you've made some some more because i admire your story I, I i really appreciate what you're doing and how you're looking at a wrestling outside of the box it's so uh, you know it's it's it is 2020 i can't believe i have to keep saying that when it comes to certain wrestling um uh mores and wrestling uh, uh tropes but um you know something had to change on on the heels of uh, of the Negro Leagues. The Negro Leagues actually being a uh, part of Major League Baseball now, and in a ruling that came to bat down this afternoon.
1: Um, I have such a problem with that, by the way, but I'm, I'm not going to get too much into it. No, but,
0: I, I want you to. No, I want you to after Craig's finished because I, okay. I had a comment and then I'm going right back to you about that. Go ahead, Craig. I was just okay. going
3: to finish my compliment for you, Chris, on what you're doing <laughs> and what you've done with professional wrestling. Um, and hopefully, what you continue to do once uh, this pandemic goes away and we can go back to the normal, normal and we get more than uh 44 people to come to your uh to come to your event to fight uh the fight right yeah we had
1: standing room in february which was so weird to me like you could hear me on commentary like marking out the fact that we had people who decided to stand and watch the show because there were no seats available it was it was nuts the best
0: thing the best thing a wrestling promoter could say uh no matter how big the building is as long as you're not in a closet which you couldn't have a wrestling match in a, in a building that small anyway <laughs> But unless you're, if you could say standing room, you've, you're getting bigger, you know, that's a, yeah. everything you could be able to say.
1: Yeah. It was really uh, just weird.
0: Like, and it, it
1: happened throughout the show. Like I, uh, I wear many hats at Fight Club. We all do. Like we, there's no, I'm not the booker. We're, we're all the booker. Cause right. we all just sit there and come up with ideas. Um, so on a typical Fight Club show, John will be in the back doing John things, and what John things entail is just walking up and down and physically putting people where he wants them. Like it's just, it's, he's an intimidating human being because he'll just walk around and and we'll see him coming at commentary, and it's like, oh god, what does he want? Because it's just something is something is either terribly wrong or something went really right, and he wants us to know. And it's kind of cool just that we, there's nothing fancy about our operation. And so then me, Sarah and Tyreek are on commentary, but we're also manning the camera. We're manually hitting uh, the phone that we're doing commentary on. So we're manually pushing play on the camera and then pushing record on the uh, iPhone or or whatever phone we're using to record commentary and syncing it up and then going for it. It's just a a weird operation. So for us to be as mom and pop as we are and for people like Lo like uh, Seahawk or, or or people who, who have, have a platform and just have decided to say, hey, you guys should check this out for whatever reason, I'm eternally grateful because as that show went on, the, the building uh, filled up and then you could see in the main event that there were people, literally my favorite part of this is that uh, there were people who were sitting on one particular fall and then everyone stood up and I'm like, oh, wow, we are, very close to the fire code here like i'm pretty sure i hope no one has uh the little counter thing and it's clicking people for everyone they see while they watch this video because this is definitely an osha violation
0: you know somebody was trying
1: <laughs> yeah like just click 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 click, click. that's a family click click, click click, and they're just like just making sure that they get the number to know that we're over capacity trust
0: me chris i grew up with a man who would have done that yeah. <laughs> no, actually craig and i both did but <laughs> You didn't, you didn't. But actually, I think I think I
1: did too. I think my dad is very uh, anal intensive about stuff well, like that.
0: Well, uh, my dad was also a fire mar, a firefighter and a fire marshal. So
1: <laughs> mine was in the navy. Like uh, <laughs> <laughs> we're in the same
0: <laughs> Whenever we go into a room, to this day, and this is a man who's been retired, which is a forced retirement. Long story, not for this podcast. Uh, but he's been retired, and he he had a stroke a year and a half ago, and but he will still walk into a room and go. That's not code, that's not code, that's not code. There's too many people in this room. I'm like, Dad, get, will you chill, chill out for having nice us? It does it all the time. Uh, right, real quick before we move on, guys. You made aware of this. Real quick, let's. Uh, Craig, Craig, I'm gonna start with you, real quick. Um, the baseball thing you mentioned uh, the the uh, Negro Leagues being. <laughs> I'm gonna air quote it told that they're major leagues and it counts now by the major league baseball uh how do you you feel about that because i have an answer and i i have a feeling chris is is along the line of uh of mine
3: uh i'm i have my foot um firmly placed in in both camps as a longtime advocate of negro leagues my grandfather uh, attended many Negro league games when uh, there was a Philadelphia stars team here in Philadelphia and uh, would took actually took my mom to see Jackie Robinson's first game here in Philadelphia. <laughs>
1: wow. Um, so, That's uh, awesome. <laughs> and, but
3: he would regale me with tales of, of Negro league players that I, you know, the mainstream people have never heard of um, and probably never will he, hear of before this day, uh, the Negro leagues were, um, part of that because he always said that the players that he saw play were just as good if not better than, you know, the the major league players that he saw. So for them getting that recognition in that way uh, long overdue, if their numbers count then you'll see a whole big changes in the all-time record books in yeah. major leagues. So that I'm proud of. On the other hand, I do believe that it was it was kind of like Nike kind of forcing their hand because they came out with a series of uh, clothing with Negro League uh, that had the Nike swoosh on it, but the Negro League jerseys that had the Nike, the Nike swoosh on it, uh, the Nike brand on it. And so they just got out in front of it as much as they could to say, oh, by the way, we're also going to make, make the, the Negro Leagues part of the major leagues now. So I see that also as, as a money grab. I, I It's still a, a very hollow gesture that, is happening now in 2020 when it could have just as easily happened in 1980 uh, and when Hank Aaron was inducted into the Hall of Fame because he was probably the greatest Negro League ball player a uh, player from the Negro Leagues to, to play in them in the uh, in the major leagues quote unquote uh, it could have been done much earlier so that's why my foot is in both camps at one I'm very proud on the other hand, it's like, wow, you're throwing us – I feel like the Indians that got the pox-covered blankets at um, from, the, the, from the settlers. It's like, I, thank you, question mark. <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah. I mean, I, I won't elaborate because I'm the white guy here, but what, the way I saw – the way it was worded by everybody was finally being recognized. I'm like, oh, thanks, white man. Oh, that's great.
1: That's why I thought it been a problem actually. Is that uh this league that has been fun, uh, telling you that this league is not on the same brand as uh, Major League Baseball has just suddenly decided that uh yeah, no, you know what? You know what, black people, we do think you were good enough to be in our record books. Like this is nothing more than to make white people feel good and feel better about not about not being the white people that they were before. Like <laughs> the entire the entire they statement, feel better. The entire statement is worded like, you know what? We we said that you weren't uh, up to the standard of Major League Baseball. And we said that you weren't uh, good enough to be in our record books and we weren't good enough to recognize you. But you know what? 2020 is a new day. We, as collective white people, have decided that you, Negro Leagues, and by the way, we very almost fumbled that first in word, but you, the Negro Leagues, (laughs) are good enough to be amongst us whites. Round of applause. All right.
3: You All right. It. We, settled that.
1: we have settled that. Next on the docket, Cleveland Indians. Okay, here we go.
0: <laughs> you know what? You're welcome. Yeah. Oh, yeah.
3: Thank you. Well, and this is something that, you know, Obviously, it's long overdue, and I, I I've mentioned this even on our very own podcast. You and I have talked about years. it like several yeah.
0: times on our shows. We've talked about that uh, league
3: from from uh, 1948 to 1959, from the time Jackie Robinson was brought into the the National League. Uh, from for that 11 year period, nine uh, players from the Negro Leagues won the MVP. So nine out of those 11 years. Uh, those awards were won by black ball players. Don, uh, Don Newcomb uh, was the very first Cy Young Award winner. First. He was black. Jackie Robinson, very first rookie of the year. He was black. Don Newcomb, still the only person to ever win rookie of the year, most valuable player, and Cy Young Award in his career. Guess what? He was black. Um,
0: and you had to tell me about it. <laughs>
3: yeah, and, uh, and I'm probably telling more than one person about it. Just hearing it for the first time now, Dan. Yeah, what? Uh, Who? <laughs> yeah, and uh, you know, I made and the other part of that, um, and we we talked about you know Jackie Robinson and, and Josh Gibson, um, the uh, differences, but why one was taken and why it wasn't? Go ahead, Dan. You no, no,
0: this is for this is the after you finished finger. <laughs> no pun okay. intended.
3: Well, they well they. They talked about, you know, we talked about uh, character because you playing devil's advocate. Why was uh, Jackie Robinson picked and why Josh Gibson wasn't, you know, for the for the great experiment uh, Two two quick stories about both men, about character and what how people saw African-Americans in uh, Jackie Robinson was in the army and he was court-martialed. He was on an army bus on an army base and he wouldn't give up his seat to a civilian white woman. Okay, so he was forcibly removed from the bus. He was court-martialed. He argued his own case, and he won. Okay, so that was the first time people branched Ricky and uh, took notice and said, okay, we're going to get a black ball player, but we're going to get this one because not only does he have the strength not to fight back, but he's got the character, and he defended himself using his words and not his fists. So that's where we're going to go with, with Jackie Robinson. While that was happening, Josh Gibson who some would say the Black Babe Ruth, was in was on in the Negro Leagues playing. And, you know, they're barnstorming, so they're going all on the road all the time. Well, apparently on this particular day before a game, someone had put roadkill or a dead something in Josh Gibson's locker. He didn't like that. So Josh Gibson picked up a bat and walked to the entrance of the clubhouse and said, whoever put that in my locker, I'm going to beat the shit out of you. If nobody comes forward, I'm beating the shit out of all of you. All of you. (laughs) Oh, and the bat, that's for you because I'm going to hand you the bat and I'm going to beat the (laughs) shit out of you because I want it to be a fair fight. So that's why Josh Gibson – and this is his black teammates, okay? Imagine if Josh Gibson gets called up in one of his white teammates or opposing coach or opposing player.
0: I was going to bring up Dick Allen. Yeah. The only reason why we have not been talking about him – And I had a conversation with friends of mine where when he died, I sent them the link of Dick Allen uh, passing away. And somebody said, and the only reason why he's not in the Hall of Fame, because of his attitude. I was like, oh, what was his attitude? Black? Was that his attitude? Because the thing, the the reason the Phillies didn't put him in the Wall of Fame was because somebody dropped the word on him. In the locker room, and instead of sitting by, because it was a a big star that dropped this word, and I don't think we've ever been told who it was, but he went after that guy in the locker room, and it was him or me, and they sent Dick out of here. That's why the Phillies waited that long to add him to the Wall of Fame, right before he died. That's and, awesome. Hey, but thanks, Manfred. Sorry, Chris. And, no,
3: and the and the the, the the player he got into a fight when he first got onto the team. I'm looking. I apologize for uh looking because I had the, the name of the, the player who Well oh, uh, they do who, name the player. Yeah. <laughs> who hit um Dick Allen uh with a bat during the fight. Hmm. And this was a guy who would always he probably finish.
0: needed to, quote unquote. Yeah,
3: it, but he was a guy who <laughs> was always um Frank Thomas, not the Frank Thomas we know. Yeah, the that, other Frank the play, Thomas. The, yeah, the player, the white Frank Thomas, who was a bully and uh, was – it said some racial and insensitive things. Got into a fight with Dick Allen in the clubhouse and hit Dick Allen with the bat, okay? And Dick Allen, you know, fought him back. And it was under the orders of the Phillies not to say anything to the press. If he said anything to the press, he would get fined, okay? They fired Frank Thomas. They got rid of him. So, because the Phillies were not supposed to talk about it, Frank Thomas got to tell his story to anyone who would listen. So they only got, and then that's when everyone hated Dick Allen because to them he cost a white man his job. Oh, oh, yeah, and because they only heard Frank Thomas's side of the story, so Dick Allen was, you know, was you know mouthy, is out of sorts, and you know the same stuff they said about Josh Gibson earlier on, but.
0: Listen to the deal. Listen to the deal on Spotify.
3: Uh, From defending himself from a bully who, uh, who hit him with a baseball bat. And even so it got so bad that he had to wear his batting helmet when he played first or third base from the amount of people that were throwing fans that were throwing stuff at him while he was trying to play. But through it all, he did what he did best was, was play baseball. And he won the MVP was Rookie of the year, and the, the I tell folks in, in the, uh, I had an argument with a Mets fan. We we're talking about who had the greatest collapse in baseball history, the Phillies in 1960 or the Mets in in 2007. So when the Phillies were up by six games with 12 to go and they blew that lead and they lost 10 games in a row, in those 10 games, Dick Allen batted 403, and he was a rookie. Okay. So I want to say well, Dick sorry. Allen was saying, "I'm doing what I can. I don't know what you, I don't know what you white motherfuckers are doing, but I'm hitting,
0: I'm hitting." So I don't know what your problem is. Uh, but, Dick Allen seemed like he'd be that cool, though. I don't know what yeah. you guys are doing. <laughs>
1: like. I don't know what your motherfucker got going on, but I'm doing what i was supposed to do.
3: Exactly. And Dick Allen was the first black player in the Phillies minor league system, and the Phillies had a minor league team in Little Rock, Arkansas, of all places and Dick Allen was their first black player there. And there was racial, there was protests about him being on that team. And all he did during his one year with that minor league team was lead the entire minor leagues in total bases. That's all. Because that's of all, mid-
1: that's
0: it. Yeah, that's it. Uh, Some I'll, I'll end this about Dick Allen with this. Some, uh, everybody, they, I, he passed, and everybody's like, he should be in the Hall of Fame. Why? You know he was like he was a seven time All Star and the only guy who's the one guy. There's only like three guys ahead of him and oh god I forgot the list. I mm-hmm. meant to bring up the list when I talked about it and I never did. But there are like two big names ahead of him and it's the only two that year. And it was like Hank Aaron and well uh, the, the, one of the,
3: the the Philly scout who brought him up um, who got, he got to see baseball players from both leagues play. He said the only person he ever saw hit a ball harder than Dick Allen was Babe Ruth. That's, yeah, okay,
0: yes, exactly. Yeah. Um, he did it without batting gloves. That's the last thing I'm going to say. He did it without batting
2: gloves? <laughs> no, that's just
0: nuts, okay, because that hurts. Uh, which brings me to, to get back on track with wrestling. I, I'm sorry. We weren't ever going to talk about it.
1: This is This is fine with me. I love this.
0: Uh, you got to come back on more often. I don't care. Like I told you, once I get past that annoying, that one part of anxiety, you're not going to get rid of me unless I piss you off. Like, yeah, I don't care. <laughs> um, the accountability. Uh, let's just say, uh, Craig, you know, because you grew up in the same area. White boy here did a lot of growing up in South Jersey uh, and did a lot of learning. And I said stupid shit when I was a kid. I said racist, sexist, stupid shit when I was younger. And I grew up because, A, it's wrong. It, well, I mean, on a basic level, it's wrong. B, that's not how the world works. And C, uh, you learn about yourself and you learn about other people and other cultures where you go, well, wait, that's a stupid thing to say why that... Why would, no, we're the same, it's, we're all human, we're all humans, it doesn't matter. Uh, And learning to, you know, pay the receipts when you have to um, say sorry, when you say something stupid like I did in high school, <laughs> Uh, it, wasn't a big, it was a big deal to him. It was a big deal to me, it's not earth shattering. But it was something we all had to grow up and deal with, uh, which is something that seems to be missing in wrestling. There seems to be very little accountability for shitty people in wrestling, and I'm not. And again, there you're allowed to fuck up. And learn, actually learn from your mistake or your – I swear to look for it, Craig. um, Your Transgression. Doing something stupid. Transgression. From learning from transgression, Mm -hmm. paying the receipt, and getting better. You're absolutely allowed to redeem yourself. It's not – My job to say when you've been redeemed, or you know, it's it's the people who are involved. It's their job to say you've been redeemed. Like on wrestling is, I alluded to it earlier. uh, Wrestling is on fire. Uh, You may not be able to redeem, you may not be able to redeem yourself because it isn't up to you, but it's imperative you try to be better. That is exactly the very good point, Perp. I'm glad you said that. That is. It's it, 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 whether you're to be forgiven is not your decision, but whether you really try to be a better person is all up to you. Uh, and there seems to be a lot of that missing in wrestling. And it's been a slow build in the years I've been involved because uh, not on a race level for obvious reasons. Um, but I've been involved with some shitty people doing shitty things and been on the other side of it. I've had friends had gun guns pulled on them for wrestling. Fed lives threatened. I've had, uh, doxing take place. A lot of, a lot of crappy things happen. I haven't been doxed, but you know, I have a cup try. <laughs> no, I mean, <laughs> but, um, in the beginning of this year, there was uh, a real camaraderie that started happening in the DC area. Uh, and especially with, uh, Chris, you're upside down. I don't know how that happened.
1: Yeah, I'm trying. I have a phone stand, <laughs> and it's being weird. So I'm just gonna hold it. Sorry. i will try to be slick about it. But I'm the least slick person on earth.
0: It would have been funny you talking all sincerely when you're.
1: That would have been a soundbite for the for the podcast. It's um, me.
0: there was a lot of uh, camaraderie uh, happening in DC wrestling, and uh, there was also a lot of issues, and an independent in general. But my point was, is when the pandemic happened, a lot of things started coming out. A lot of bubbles finally, a lot of boiling finally went over. And a lot of things started coming out. What I'm unfortunately seeing is a lot of people uh, just moving on. And continuing again and it's kind of like on a wider scale as you mentioned you know uh the show coming up soon and the vaccine and everybody getting back to normal and, and craig earlier mentioned normal and i'm like i don't really want to go back to normal normal where we just go oh it's fine he molested a couple people oh he raped her it's fine come on back in it's fine Yeah, i'm talking about you joy ryan kiss my ass um I, i'm seeing a lot of that uh you mentioned a company earlier and a hey, gentleman <laughs> That uh, we had a you and I had separate run-ins with yeah. yours, yours in person, mine over the internet. I won. Um,
1: <laughs> small
0: victory, but victory
1: uh, is, win the win.
0: What what happened?
1: A win the a a win? win.
0: Yeah. Well, man, if you block me, and you're the you're the you're the sexist homophobic idiot, it's not my. I, I didn't lose <laughs> that argument. I'm just saying. <laughs> uh yeah. What's your take on things? More not all all not only locally, but in general, there's just a lot of I don't think a lot of, I think a lot of people hashtag speaking out to be cool on social media, quite frankly. I got suspended for defending somebody, and it's like, what am I trying for? Nobody else gave a shit. What, what's the fucking point anymore?
1: Um. So, I'll tell you a really brief story, right? So, I moved to D.C. when I was 15, and I went to my dad's, and the next day, I woke up, and he said, you need to learn the neighborhood, so go get, go to the store and get me, uh, I forget what I was getting, honestly, but I go outside, and I said, okay, and I start walking, I put on my walkman, I get to this alley, and it's six, almost, uh, uh, six people, six dudes around me. And me being, you know, me, I'm, I'm 15. I think I'm invincible. I just keep walking. Those six people beat me the fuck up. Um, there were six people. I was clearly walking through them. They were... I, I feel like I, I made it the point. I might have made it the point to walk through them, but I don't think mm. there was a way, like, around them, mm. but I walked right through them, and my second day in D.C., I got beat the fuck up. Um... And what happened was, is they were, that was clearly their block. I was new there. I didn't know anything. And I decided to walk through a group of six niggas. My actions had consequences. And from that point forward, I knew that if I see a collective of niggas posted up on a block or an alley or a curb or anywhere, I'm not going past them. Because I have learned my lesson. Now, I'm not suggesting me going around beating niggas the fuck up in indie wrestling. Although I am suggesting that, I'm not suggesting that publicly. Although that is my solution to everything, is that we find these people and we give them some consequences to their actions, because that's obviously what they need, because they can't learn anything without obvious and clear consequences, which, in my opinion, should be beating them the fuck up. But... There I'm is not the no of... to,
0: to agree with the co but I do cosine. You know what I mean? <laughs> I
1: mean, there has to be something. These people are being wrong. And not, in some cases, they're leaving and going to do other things that have nothing to do with wrestling. And so that audience has no idea what they've done. In some instances, they just go right back into wrestling. And we, Brian Pillman Jr., like a month ago, was in somebody's DMs protecting an abuser. And that nigga is, was on AEW Dark last week.
0: He's, he's literally on TV right now. He's
1: on... Oh my, <laughs> I am Nico Damas.
0: He's like,
1: <laughs> on TV right now, and he was just being an abuse denier. Like, oh, I know this person. He couldn't do this. No. I had a really good friend who turned out to be a piece of shit person. And we don't talk to that nigga no more. You know why? Because we don't associate with pieces of shit people. But you have those people that allow those people back into the culture or allow those people back into circles. And when you normalize people in circles, eventually that's going to wear down, right? So if Brian Pillman, for example, if people know that he's a piece of shit person, right, and the other half either know or don't care, eventually that other half will smooth over the half that care. So that way it's acceptable for that to go on
0: give you an example and this is not earth shattering because i mentioned it a hundred times but this is going to flow right into what you just said do you know of sammy callahan yes do you know why i hate the man please tell okay Uh, a friend of mine who was a wrestler chrissy rivera was married to him at one point uh long story short he was abusive fuck there was a lot of other mental and physical things that went on Long story short, she's moved on. Her life is much better, obviously. Uh, Wonderful marriage. Not involved in shitty wrestling right now. Happy, happy, well, happier in her life without him. But this guy did it in the locker room and out of the locker room. And that's it. Well, then what happened? Nothing happened. Nothing. Yeah. Hey, it was best man at at DJ High's wedding, which, well, well, that figures. Um, that's what, that was his consequence. Uh, so don't go around here. Don't go near him with any bathroom doors or trash cans. Um, oh, I bet. So I would mention it because I, I don't give a fuck if he's mad. There's a lot of people arrested. I'm scared of the walking trash bags. Not one of them. Um, and I'm not going to out the other podcast because I don't have anything against them. I we're not at odds. I have not a mean word to say about who mentioned this, but I just thought about it the other day and it was a slapping as I was suspended on Twitter for defending somebody from, and on Facebook in a week, Chris, in one week, both platforms. Uh, apparently it's okay to post memes about hanging people in trees and promising the old times and black lives matter or all race. Uh, that's okay. But calling him white trash is a suspendable offense fine okay sure
1: I got suspended 30 days for saying somebody for I got suspended for Facebook 30 days for saying the, for saying the n-word that someone else was not saying and they were doing the in uh, um, asterisk 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 aster, aster. and I just said just say nigger like you want to or or say nigger like you want to yeah, and yeah. that got me a 30 day ban. of
0: course did they check your profile probably not uh, they out.
1: did they did, did?
0: <laughs> oh, wow. they did
1: my they point. Do. They always do. I love it, though.
0: <laughs> of course, the, Well, because it's the internet thing. You know, I just kind of. I, I, uh, I gave you an example about that a little bit. You ain't gonna get me through the internet. Oh, I, you can get got. I'd watch that if I were you. Uh, but like I said, if Sammy catches me, whatever. I don't, I don't I come on. Well,
1: here's the thing about me, right? And I'm I'm very much um, in the camp of if I see something, say something. Yeah. Um, because uh, what I've noticed or what I've just come to the terms in is that I live in the world of professional wrestling. Right. And noticing how the trends in the landscape of professional wrestling is, ain't hey, none of these niggas going to fight me. And if they did try to fight me, they can't whoop me. So what are they going to do? Come, come run up on the show and ask for discourse? <laughs> no, hands or, or keep it moving. Oh, I would like to have a debate on
0: Twitter about your stance, but it's not, Oh, fuck me. your debate, Twitter debate. Fuck me. Fuck yourself. And if
1: you're not gonna come wreck me, shut up about it. And I'm gonna keep spitting. And if I'm wrong, call me out. I'm being wrong. But, but if I, there's clear stuff going on and I'm pointing it out, and you're upset that I'm pointing it out, it's so a homeboy. Come see these hands.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's that's your problem, not mine. <laughs> well, what I got to do with that? I don't, I don't book for y'all. I don't, I'm
1: not here to make friends with people who are abusive or promote abusers or, or, or do shitty things behind people's back or have shitty business practices. I'm not here for that. I'm here to make friends with people who are good people and promote good wrestling. And if you got a problem with me speaking out because you've done shitty things, run them hands. Come check my face, nigga. Otherwise, calm it down.
0: I was you I'm
1: have a that grown moment. man. A good I'm a grown man from Southeast Washington D.C., which is one of the most inclusive places in the world. High key. we don't care who you are. We don't care what you look like. We don't care where you're from. We love everybody. But there's a certain rule and code of conduct that you have to run by. You don't do shitty things to shitty people. You don't do things behind people's back. And when you're uh, confronted on them you accept the consequences or you get dealt with. And that's how I approach professional wrestling. If you do shitty things, you either are held accountable or you're dealt with. And if you get upset because I call it out and you get upset because I call out hypocrisies in pro wrestling or I call out things that aren't cool in pro wrestling or when I'm calling out GCW asking them why they need to free themselves when they're cis, hetero, white men and don't need freeing from anything because they live in the country of the United States, which is made for white people, come check me. And if you're not gonna come check me, block me because it's not
0: over. I find it interesting that the business, cause you know, after this, we're going to do the wrestling historian part with Craig, where he just talked about things that happened in this week in wrestling in the past. And it always amazes me what we're talking about now. And then let me finish the, the first part of the story, the part of accountability I was talking about, um, which you put much more eloquently than I could <laughs> um, much. I, I'm not even sure why I'm here. Um, the business that prided itself on checking receipts in the old days in ring right are it's the same business where the guy who's accused of raping six people is suing those people what wait what <laughs> uh, the the second part of my story to add to what you're saying Chris is that podcast again, we're cool i'm not going to out them cuz it's they didn't do anything wrong but they that next week the last time we talked about it years ago the sam callahan being a fucking douchebag thing they said well like these guys in h i a c that mentioned sam callahan beating up his wife and in the next breath goes but i like sam callahan so anyway
1: you know what you know what? That's you know what. I guess Aaron Hernandez was a pretty good tight end, wasn't he? <laughs>
0: uh,
3: O.J. Simpson is one of the
1: greatest running backs. In the of, of, of That's the NFL. what I'm saying. That's yeah. what I'm saying. You coming. know what? Like what, what? are we doing here? Are we? Uh, is that who we are? Fabulous Moolah was pretty. Good. No, we don't no, do that.
0: No, she's a piece of shit, and she's dead now. Pat Patterson did some know. shitty things, and he's dead now.
1: Dead. And he's so,
0: dead. And he doesn't care that I'm saying it. He's dead.
1: What's he going to do? Come out the grave and check me? Yeah. No.
0: Well, the other thing I was going to say about that, the answer, like, I was talking, this guy posted one of the most racist shit things I've ever seen about LeBron James on Twitter. Uh, as, as they do,
1: LeBron James tends to be the the Martin Luther King for racist Yeah, the guy the that king, puts his
0: money where his mouth is, is a piece of shit. Okay, whatever. But anyway, he po- well once once that dude once that boy gets his money he's i mean once that what I'm quoting him once that boy oh, gets kidding. his money held back he's going to go right back oh did he though no did they get the demands met yes it's not this a large step in the right direction but it was a step but i told him a what you posted was not true and b it's racist and he immediately went to well, why don't we box about it? you punching me in the face. Does it make me wrong? It Someone makes you wrong, you and you're punching it's me in the face. See,
1: here, here's the thing. Uh, you believe that these people run by these things called facts. They do not. No. Uh, in their word, opinions outweigh facts tenfold.
0: It, uh, just, it's mind-boggling to see. And, and, and another thing is, like, oh, you're just a social justice worker. I'm coming at you for real. I am not a character on Twitter. I don't know how to be a character. That's why I'm not a wrestler. Well, among other things, but you get my point. Yeah. Uh, this is not bullshit. You like to be this, you like to work people on Twitter. This is not work, guys. This is it.
1: I don't think the term social justice warrior is such an insult as people think it is. I'm a no, social that's another justice thing. warrior. <laughs> I'll beat the shit out you. Like, <laughs> a- I'm a warrior <laughs> about it. Oh, that, I, I'm a proud social justice warrior.
0: The guy that you and I had uh, issues with separately that likes yeah. to carry his gun while he's putting the ring up. I'm like, I don't care. You, you bring your gun, dude. I'll bring three other guys. Like, It's cool. He,
1: he had discourse with me, and then he took it to Instagram Live. And <laughs> I followed him to Instagram Live, and I tried to get in the live, and they kept blocking me. And I was in the comments telling them, and eventually he got told by his boss to stop doing it, even though he kept doing it. And I've, I've offered to fight him, but uh, he won't do it. So.
0: Well, also, the guy wanted me to fly to Canada to box him in a pandemic. I'm like, I can't get into your country, you <laughs> fucking moron.
1: Yeah, let me, let me, you know what? Give me a six week training camp. Yeah. But if, you, if we're going to box, provide me with my money. What's my show perks? i did, to Canada for the box. I asked movie. for
0: money. He goes, "You want money now? This is for charity." No, fuck you. Pay me if you were in a box. <laughs> box. We put on your box. gloves.
1: Make sure they're six-inch gloves. You gotta, you gotta get there for the weigh-in. No, Here, here's what
0: pissed him off. Right, he called a professional hockey player a pussy. He did, and I mentioned, mm-hmm. "Well, why don't you just sit there and call more hockey players pussies?" Which turned into me calling him a pussy because he can't read. That's not my problem. <laughs> But then he, uh, if you cut to a couple weeks later, I heard because I saw it kind of transpire on Twitter, and then I heard what happened was he went to a friend of mine and said what my problem was, and that friend said, "No, you're the idiot here." And then, <laughs> and then he then he started talking about another hockey player, and that hockey player responded.
1: Oh. Now, oh,
0: if, you guys, it. you guys haven't. I don't know if you guys have heard of the Federal Hockey League. Yeah. But I it's, have. Like, okay. So it's low level, uh, and it's disrespectful to call them goons. It's a lot of fighting. There's some skill, it, it's a mix of skill skill and fighting. It's there's no in between. <laughs> and the guy he was talking trash on was a, a guy who played more games than this guy. Like, this guy like, dipped his toe into hockey once. This guy was a minor league, he played in the AHL, the IHL, the Federal Hockey League. He played games in the NHL. And he got involved, and that dude disappeared from Twitter.
1: Oh, because consequences for their actions are the the kryptonite to people with opinions like that. They need consequences, which, again, and I feel like this is I'm beating a dead horse here, but if that dead horse was the consequences, it would definitely learn, because I beat it, which is, I think, what we should do to these people. We should beat them up. We should just start beating them up. But, again, not everybody is, is, is the type of person to, to go out and beat people up. And I, I understand that. But if we were, we wouldn't be dealing with as much of this as we do.
0: If it was old school. First of all, it was old school wrestling. <laughs> it would, wouldn't be so bright and white. Uh, yeah. What was the, um, Craig, what was the year that. What was the state and the year that you told me the first uh, African-American match even took place? It was like in 60-something, wasn't it?
3: 1963. uh,
0: 63!
3: Terry Anderson took on Bobo Brazil in Tampa, Florida, which is the first time in the history of of wrestling in Tampa that a black man wrestled another black man in 1963. How
0: racist do you have to be where you won't even let a black man wrestle another black man?
3: And it was three years later in 1966 when Len Rossi, who passed away earlier this year, uh, teamed up with Bearcat Brown to to form the first ever interracial tag team in the history of Tennessee. So in Tennessee, they just got integrated thanks to Sputnik Monroe so black fans could sit alongside white fans and not up in the crow's nest which was named that because of the amount of black people up there, not because of... By
0: the know, way, I just yeah. learned that the other day when you told me that. Yeah. It's like, I didn't know yeah. that was a racist term. Yeah,
3: Yeah, because uh, they kept the black people as far away from possible, so they called it the crow's nest because, you know, black is a crow. But um, in Memphis, they could they just started having the black fans sit alongside a white fans, but uh, a black wrestler still couldn't wrestle a white wrestler, and let alone team up with one until Len Rossi. So that was, and that was again, 1966. This is all during during the civil rights period that all these major uh, leaps were happening with African American wrestlers but you say end, uh, end how racist out.
1: you have to be to let two black people wrestle each other that would mean that you would have to put one of those black people over and you know how adverse that wrestling is Boy. to putting black people over so
3: well and the, what was so interesting about it chris was that one of the wrestlers was bob this is 1963 one of the wrestlers was bobo brazil a year earlier he was recognized as the nwa heavyweight champion <laughs> he had beaten buddy rogers in a uh, in a match that Rod, rogers couldn't continue and it was a forfeit and they Awarded the match to and the title to Bobo Brazil. Bobo wouldn't take it, but still half half of the national wrestling lives recognized Bobo Brazil as a, as the NWA Heavyweight Champion, the biggest title in all of professional wrestling. This is before the WWF even existed, so there are enough people that that and the NWA had enough confidence in Bobo Brazil a as champion and b because he was a draw, and people paid to see him, so he was one of the one of, and he him being in that match was the only reason it would come off because enough people knew Bobo, that they would, you know, they would, they would pay to see him. So if it was just two black wrestlers that, you know, right off the bus, no, we can't have two wrestlers because nobody's going to pay to see that, but people will pay to see Bobo. So he was, that's what, what made that it just, oh, it just happened to be the first time that two black wrestlers ever wrestled each other in Tampa, Florida. In 1963,
1: <laughs> but, yeah, you know, casual racism in professional wrestling.
0: I'm convinced now that people get, that get mad at the terms like systemic racism, casual racism, or uh, social justice warrior are just mad because they're getting called on it. Yeah, I'm convinced now. Um, so. Uh, a real question, like what? What do we do in wrestling? What does somebody like me at the bottom rung do? What does somebody at your position do? What can somebody like Craig do to help get this going forward? Because I'm very sincere and serious in saying, wrestling's on fire, and something's going to burn down, and from the ashes is going to rise, like companies like uh, Fight Club, companies like Butch versus Gore. Um what, what can we do in the meantime while we can't be close do do you keep the mouth going do you yeah, like I, what do you suggest for everybody what can we do as wrestling fans and wrestling business get this moving forward because it, I'm, I'm frankly tired of it
1: uh, I I've just been being as diligent as possible um just making sure that if i see something i say something I, I Same subway rule If I see something that I don't think is right Just continue to bring it up uh, Right now that's all we can do because we're in a pandemic And wrestling is very much on fire But we've got firefighters And I think for the first time uh, Ever We've got good firefighters We've got uh, us, we've got Lowe We've got Billy Dixie, we've got Darius Lockhart Billy, Eric Collette, yes. Real life. Like, We've got people who Are not afraid to buck the status quo uh in professional wrestling and people who are quite frankly sick of the way that professional wrestling is and are willing to change it chic um um people at Hood slam um uh the people at uh, without a cause uh good people good people who are there uh to promote good people because eventually i think that 3 years from now I've, I've thought about this in detail, and it's always been five, but just kind of seeing the way the landscape is changing, I think it can be done in three. It's from now. We're going to be looking at this time and it's like, okay, well, this was the real foundation of, of where we started to make the change in wrestling. I think that uh, fans need to be better about checking people who are fans. I think that promoters need to create a code of conduct for uh, their company and that for both fans and talent to abide by and then need to stand by that code of conduct. And that means it, it, even if your, your biggest draw is going against that code of conduct, you need to, to make an example to show that we will not stand for it. Um, I think that people just need to be more diligent at the fact that this is something that we live in, but we can change it. And we change it by just continuing to press and press and press and press. And press. Because it doesn't change. Very rarely does change happen silently or quietly. It always happens, uh, at least in my opinion, uh, as a black person. Like with violence and with fight. Um, same thing with uh, just just violence. Violence changes things. And I don't mean it as physically fighting people, although that is something that I very much enjoy. Uh, <laughs> I, I just mean it by uproar and chaos. Right? Nothing changes without because you can suggest it, and we can continue to suggest it. I've been suggesting that we take mustard off the McDouble for the last ten years, but it's still on there. Whoa, whoa! Because I'm not going not... to McDonald's and forcing them.
0: Let's Well, hey, let's hey, hey
1: that's fine, that's fine. But I, that's change. Change just doesn't happen. It happens when people are uncomfortable. Do you really we, want to sit in you the know? same spot? No, I don't I, I hate mustard, but that's a different story. Oh, okay. I well, mustard. I i understand. I'm not a cotton guy. No, I, I,
0: I'm a uh, um, plain guy, too. I, yeah.
1: <laughs> uh, but yeah, just people being uncomfortable. You don't, If you sit in the same spot, eventually you're going to sit in that spot and say your ass cheek falls asleep. And what happens when your ass cheek falls asleep? It's got to shift a little bit because you're uncomfortable. When things are and people are uncomfortable, they move and they change. And as long as we continue to make people uncomfortable with the, with, People being diligent and speaking out and 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 being active on making sure that these companies stick to their code of conduct, I think we can make a real change possible.
0: So, and and there's an, I want to think uh, one thing I want to add is it, it's okay to like something and still uh, something I can't. Baffle people getting around it as well. How can you like something and still want to still can bitch about it? You can like something and want change. Then make it yeah. better. That's what being a
3: Phillies fan is all about. <laughs> all about How dare you? <laughs> yeah, but it's <laughs> something that we we love, but we know we we still bitch about it all the time.
0: Yeah, John Middleton's an idiot, but exactly.
3: That's... And and Chris, to, you know, to piggyback on what you said, and uh, being part of our our culture, and our history, anything that we've ever gotten for us or any, any change that's been made was because of protests, yeah. because of us making a lot of noise, because of us uh, marching in the streets or sitting at lunch counters or doing a demonstration or kneeling. Uh, and it's a shame that we have to do it. To, we had to make people uncomfortable first for it to happen, um, but that's exactly what it is going to to do. And and you know, and people, including myself, are saying, "Well, the Negro Leagues are part of of the major leagues now. Wow, it's you know, it's 2020." I've there is no timetable for doing the right thing. Um, right. Okay. Good. Yeah. Uh. It. it yes. Could have gone sooner, but it's here now. Um. And that's the same for you know for any first uh, black person. You look at uh, not to get too political, but look at Joe Biden's cabinet now, and he's nominating this person, this person, and 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 uh, a uh, racist non-friend of mine said, oh, I, "I keep on hearing the same oh, this is the first black this, this, is the first woman that.'" I said, "If it if it happened sooner, if there was as many white senators and white public transportation people then that." You never heard of them being the first white because it's so regular. If it was such a regular thing, you wouldn't have to hear, this is the first woman to do this, or the first black person to do this, or the first openly gay guy to have this position.
0: Why does it bother this person?
3: Yeah, they I just got sick of hearing Yeah, they got sick of hearing all oh guy, If I have to hear, this is the first black this, and one more time, it's the first black. I
1: said, well, uh,
3: if we – if. <laughs> if it happened as many, as much as white people
1: have had this position, you wouldn't have heard it. Oh, okay. I'm sick of seeing all of this stuff. I'm sick of seeing all of this. Nigga, go buy some NyQuil. Because <laughs> it's going to happen. You're going to keep being sick because white people have been ruling this shit for so long, and they haven't given these people the opportunities. So you're going to be sick, and you see the first white female, the first black person, the first black. It's 2020. We've been doing this politics shit in America since 1776. That's 220, 30, four years. I think my math might be wrong by ten years there, but it's a lot of years. Wow. Yeah. There's some generations. My, my and, and not a lot of niggas been in there. My
0: no. favorite thing, I favorite thing I see is uh, you know, uh, well, you know, civil rights have been around for a long time, and I th- and I immediately think of somebody like Craig, who's fifty years old, who had his family members chased with rope. This isn't something that did This isn't 100 years away. This just happened, motherfucker. I don't know what to tell you. I'm There's sorry I'm not white lyric. enough for you.
1: There's a Kanye lyric I heard when I was like 15 where he's like, uh, at the tender age of six, his grandmother took his mom and made him sit where white people weren't supposed to want him to eat, right? And at that time, Kanye was 35. And his mom had him when she was like 21, which would make her like 57. Right, so this 57 year old woman was at the fucking sit-ins. She's 57. How do you mean social or, or, or uh, uh, civil rights has been so far away when a 57 year old woman was at the sit in
3: Yeah, Martin Luther King died during my lifetime, so it it wasn't that. Shut up, old man. Um, no, it wasn't that. <laughs> it wasn't that that long ago where people said we comes up
1: like.
0: Yeah. <laughs> we haven't come that far. We've co- you. Those are things that are, say to make me and other whiteies feel comfortable. We come so far.
1: People don't understand that we are legit still in the first generation of like diversity. Mm-hmm. Like this is this is the very first generation of diversity. It
0: happened we, less than twenty years before it. I was born.
1: We're yeah. in it. We are in it.
0: This is the revel. This is it. The thing we are literally seeing a world changing again.
1: Mm-hmm. Listen, there are. uh This is just off the top of my head. And this is literally just going off the number of white running backs that I know. There's like 97% of people, or 97% of the people in the NFL are black. And then there's Christian McCaffrey and then quarterbacks, right? So that league is a black league, but they still have to have a rule that says that you must interview one black person in your head coaching role if you are hiring head coaches. So you're telling me that 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 league is so racist. That before that Rooney rule, not one nigga was being approached to be hired. But now that the league is 97% nigga, we're still going back to say, you gotta, gotta hey, did you interview your nigga? Did you interview <laughs> your one nigga before you hired this guy? Because if you didn't, you're gonna get fined.
0: Well, left.
3: Yeah. well, when we start getting, you know, and as much progress as we made when we start getting black NFL black owners. Uh, then it'll be. Different. Yeah. And, and when owners aren't right wing media or right wing supporters, uh, then it will be different. Like a uh, majority of the the people that own uh, wrestling companies now are right wing uh, supporters. That's and, why I don't um, get involved
1: with that like wrestling, or that Wednesday wrestling talk when they're like, oh, you know, you oh, you're watch WWF and Vince is, is in Trump's cabinet when. Sonny Khan or Shad Khan donated to Trump and, like, was best friends with the boy, and they have business ventures together. So if we're going to really, like, pick the apple at the bunch, like, let's do it. Like, you're not – there is no ethical way to watch pro wrestling on TV. So let's not sit here and and go against other people before they watch. Go ahead, Craig. And
3: if you ever listen to any of the Young
1: Bucks podcasts, they're – those are
3: two of the biggest right wing conspiracy nuts you could ever hear, and, and don't get me started on their anti Obama rants or anything. Who?
0: Like Young Bucks? Oh my god! Yeah. Yeah. Really? Yeah. I don't. I care that much about them.
1: Yeah.
0: Well, I didn't. Carl I was Anderson I was forced AJ to AJ hear it.
1: Republican yeah. What I was, was that
2: Chris?
1: Oh, like, uh, that Carl Anderson and and Luke Gallows call AJ Styles Republican hoot. Like that's that's just how far that those are those are boys, and they're boys for a reason. Yeah. Aj is, to
3: his credit isn't as bad as the young bucks. Uh, his Aj is mostly just you know homophobic and believes still believes the earth is flat. Uh, but the the young bucks are in the uh, you know uh, the the anti Obama so to speak.
1: I yeah. I the saw racism.
3: some
0: I saw some the, the elite. Yeah, I saw somebody comment. Uh, it was Jose commented about. Well, what does the born again Christian Sting think about LG? I was like, I don't want to. Fu- I don't care. I don't want to yeah. know. I don't want to know. Yeah, he's not a wrestler anymore. It's it's sideshow. I don't want to <laughs> know. Don't you ruin Sting for me?
3: It was and the the thing about Sting now we didn't get a chance to talk about him last week during his his debut last week because he actually debuted during an edition of. H I C Talk Radio Live and oh, okay. uh, and it the the screenshot of Dan's face when he saw Sting uh should actually be our new app. should be my new avatar, or at least a screensaver. Um, <laughs> but we haven't had a chance to talk about it. Uh well let's since... do
0: it while Chris is here. Then I have one final question about uh um what we've been talking about this you know. I
3: said the same now when, when Sting debuted on AEW uh-huh. it, popped rating right the first time AEW or any Wednesday night wrestling show had been over a million views in almost a year. Okay, so it so in that respect it worked. And it got mainstream uh, talk, ESPN, everybody picked up on it. It was uh, the most it was trending worldwide on Twitter. I think it was number one or two when it happened. But when Sting debuted on AEW. And got the big pop and everything like that. And I found out that Sting was signed to AEW to at least a three-year contract. I had the same three words I, I had when the, the WWE signed him. Or when, or when TNA signed him. You signed Sting to do what? He can't go anymore. He wasn't medically cleared by the WWE. Even if he wasn't cleared by the WWE, he's 62 years old, and he physically can't go anymore. He's not a manager, so he's not going to walk anyone in the ring. He's not a commentator. He's not going to sit next to Tony and JR and call a match. He's not a booker. He's not a trainer. He never trained anyone, and he himself was barely trained as it was. He got on-the-job training uh, from – being in the Mid-South with Bill Watts and Ernie Ladd and Dr. Death and the Freebirds and everything else, while he wanted to get better and his partner unfortunately didn't, and why his partner sucked and why Sting turned out to be a very, very good wrestler. So my my question, and I'll even put this to you, Dan, Sting is on AEW for a number of years, and I, I'm not knocking Sting because – he did the same thing that TNA did. Just give him a whole bunch of money just to be Sting, just to show up on TV, and but to do what? What is AEW going to do with Sting? Can
0: I answer first, Chris? Yeah, absolutely for free. That's uh, my show. I'm answering first. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> uh, Chris, I don't know if you know this part about me. Uh, okay. The biggest. Sting mark in the world. Oh. That being said, past the initial, oh, fuck me. I immediately looked at Kelly and I said, well, now what? Why? I don't want to see the guy wrestle anymore. I don't, like, every little bit of his ability and and and, and gas that he had left, he used on that Seth Rollins match. Which was fine, by the way, at his old age, but it was like, this sting mark even at questioned why, If it's anything past a on-camera role with whoever he's gonna groom, i I am disinterested now. I have the WWE network. I'll go watch some sting matches, folks. That's, that's where I want to see Sting in the ring. Signed, biggest Sting mark in the world. <laughs> uh, like I said, past the initial, and even Tony Schiavone barely getting the words, it's Sting out. I was like, okay, well, that was cool. Now, please go do something else. <laughs> Chris? Um, Sting. Don't hurt my feelings, Chris.
2: I'm trying not to. I promise.
0: No, go ahead. I, whatever. I know there's people that don't he like him. He
1: just things. has never done anything for me, right? Um, entering, he's, You're fired. he's. I'm not going. <laughs> like I'm not going to sit here and say he's a bad wrestler. I'd be lying to you guys, and if there's one thing I'm not it's a liar. Uh, but just off the top of your head, name me one plus sixty-year-old American that you really run to your TV, phone, or monitor to see wrestle.
0: Oh, wrestle? I was going to say Phil Collins, but I don't want him wrestling. Never mind. <laughs> no, I, none. Zero. I
1: just I just, Zero. I remember when Ric Flair was in Raw for, like, his 2000, like three, four run, and I want to say he was, like, in his mid-50s.
2: The commentary
1: used to bash him for being how old he was. You're old as fuck, Ric Flair. Like, they were just constantly, the joke was that he's old and a shell of who he was as a human being. Yep. But they made that into something, right? Sting, Ric Flair, he is not. No. And I don't mean that in terms of, like, wrestling ability. I mean, in terms of, Ric Flair was so charismatic, and his character was such Ric Flair, that he could do that. If Ric Flair had a match today, I'd probably enjoy it, because he's old, in, in his his... His character is that he's old, and that could be the match layout, is that he's old.
0: He's been doing For that giving been, as long as he was doing yeah. The Nature Boy. He's old.
1: He's been old since I've known him. Like, yeah. I've known of Rick Lane. That's Clare. a very good old. point.
0: That's a good point.
1: Sting has always been faster, looser, dynamic,
0: and not—he's
1: a character, but he's not a show-carrying character at 62 years old. When younger Sting in the abuser Darby Allen is right there next to him. Right? I don't wanna see my brother and me in wrestling. Like it was a subpar movie. I don't wanna see it in wrestling. I don't wanna see Sting and Darby. I don't wanna see Sting and Cody. I don't wanna see Sting and Sting. I don't wanna see Sting. I just don't wanna see Sting. That's not appealing to me. It is, however. Appealing to the demographic that they're going for, it's appealing to. Yeah, well, yeah, I was going for eighteen to thirty-four. But if you if you want to get to the nitty-gritty, I'll say yeah, it. it's appealing to white people. It's appealing to southerners. It's appealing yeah. to older people. It's appealing to people who watch WCW, and and that's the play that they're going for. This is a this is the son of a Rhodes. This is Cody. It's not like he's going to come up with some brand new inventive way to promote wrestling. No, he's going to do what his dad did on TV now. And what did and what do you do? You get familiar faces, and you shove them on TV and say, hey, remember this guy? Hey, remember him? Cool. All right, cool. And All that right. would be fine, Chris, if you did something with them. You
3: brought back Arn and Tully to do what? They're invisible. You brought you, back you Jake Roberts, who's one of the greatest he, – he's the greatest talker you have on that show.
0: Nothing. You have three, in those names that you just named, Craig, three of the greatest talkers ever to come down the pike and past Jake Roberts have said very little. Why the fuck else would you have him on that show?
1: Because they're southern and they're known by southern old people. God damn it, Chris. Stop talking logic. uh,
0: Stop being logical.
1: The only way that Sting would get used less on AEW is if he was a woman. (laughs)
3: Wow, but but the, the ironic thing about Sting, when he had his biggest success, was when, when he, he went talk. in exactly a full year without saying anything. Well, to
0: be fair, he wasn't uh, in the three of the best talkers in the business. <laughs> no. <laughs> Listen, I'm a self-aware Sting fan, by the way, Chris. I yeah. there's, not, there's two promos that were ever good that he's ever done. Two.
1: I so, can think of one segment of Sting that I really enjoyed and it happened in TNA. I do. There's also one sting finish that I remember. That's my favorite, like sting match, and it's just a finish. Tell the sting mark
0: what that finish was, please. Uh,
1: it's where he's facing Robert Roode, and Robert he's giving Robert Roode the Scorpion Death Drop, and he hits his head on the chair, and then knocks him out, and Robert Roode retains the title.
0: Yep. Yeah, I remember it. I listen uh, again. Just to reiterate, biggest sting fan. I have no, I have no use for him here. Um, I. I get frustrated with AEW because the old mid 30 37, the old, is that late 30s now? Shit.
1: Well, Alright, cool. Hey, that hey, Chris, saved me. Alright,
0: yes. <laughs> um, the mid-30 year old man can get his fix watching the network. Yeah. But he tunes in to this one, turns into AEW for Nyla Rose. For Darby Allen. Well, for for everybody else. And, uh, new faces. New faces. Uh, weekly, I will mention how Nyla... Uh, listen, I'm sure she is thrilled to be on TV. I'm not speaking for anybody on that show or being booked on that show. But I will still say, until they do, how Nyla wasn't booked over. Everybody, as the, as the awesome Kong, as the karma, as the Andre the Giant, as the Ric Flair, as the sting of that company from day one, just based on how she looks and working your way forward, I don't understand and will never understand.
3: No, the, the minute they the, – the second they dropped the ball on Nyla Rose, had, had having her lose to a 90-pound uh, Japanese schoolgirl, I knew that the company was in trouble because you in Nyla Rose, there's your Vader right there. She go she runs through everyone. You can even play up even make that the angle that she is transgender. What better way to get your product out there? And have her run through everyone, period. No exceptions. Squashes. Nothing but she's your Vader. She's your monster heel. Period. She's served if- up on a, on a silver platter. She's a gift to
1: you,
0: any division, anywhere, period. The top heel. Uh, exactly. The
1: problem is, is that you're using logic, and I oh. feel like <laughs> when you use logic, that you kind of fuck yourself up because you're, you're acting with the best of intentions when you should be acting on what does the average white male like? That's how the And the average white male who tunes into AEW, uh, how do I say it? Without being so blind, they old white folk. They don't like black people, especially when they can't relate to. But for some reason, they can relate to Japanese girls more because they watch Puro. It's 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 a mind fuck to me that these people who were New Japan fans who then migrated to AEW. That's the
3: other thing that. Well, that's that's yes. all Kenny. That's that's all Kenny Omega. Yeah, that's all Kenny Omega. His girlfriend and his old and all this Japanese his Japanese schoolgirl fetish is on full display. And Dan and I have talked about this on this very podcast over and over again. Why AEW fails as a wrestling company because they don't have one guy, one decision. It, for it, for WWE, for all its faults, it everything begins and ends with Vince. Vince is the final word on everything.
0: We like sending Keith Lee down back down to go train
3: which by the didn't it. way didn't happen cuz he was on TV yeah. on Monday. <laughs> yeah, thank you very much. Yeah. Thank
0: you for saying that because I was like, but, wait, I'm confused. Was it after all?
3: But with AEW, you have Kenny Omega booking the women's division, you have the Bucks booking the tag division, Cody booking his own matches, Jericho's in charge of his own storyline. There's not one person, there's not one booker. There's no Dusty, there's no Bill Watts. Um this just say this is you no, know, we we every match is going to go through me and this is how it's going to go. Everyone, there's too many cooks in the kitchen. Tony Khan has got his dad's money. you throwing it at, at everyone and anyone who wants to come and all of his indie friends get the job. Doesn't matter if you were uh, four foot three like uh, Marco Stunted Growth or you wrestle with your hands in your pockets or um, this guy is uh, uh, something else or uh, Joey Janela. You're, you're going to get a job. Yeah, so if anything, gives all hopes to all the. If you're an indie sideshow, you know, guy, uh, Tony tony will throw you a whole bunch of money, and you'll get on TV. Yeah, Never but mind then
0: put them
3: on my TV. Okay, or even just book them smart. You know, you have you have your, your maybe the next Roddy me. you you have maybe the next Roddy Piper in your on your television, Joe. MJF, if you don't give him a match every week, at least give him a two-minute segment with a microphone. And
0: I'll do you one better about Nyla Rose. You have the first Nyla Rose. Yes. I don't know. They
2: I just but, I will. A
1: lot. Go ahead, cut you Sorry. off. A, no, you're good. But there's a lot of talent that, like, you know who my like, you know who my favorite wrestler was growing up, like as a kid. It was Scotty Tuhati. You know why? Because Scotty Tuhati appealed to me. Like, he was getting it. Like, him and Grandmaster Sex a with that dumb dance they used to do and the hip-hop drop and getting the glasses and fogging them up and all that stuff, that got over with me. And you know what? Orange Cassidy got over with a group yes. of people. And they've, they've got characters. They've got talent. The issue is they don't know what to do with them because they're too concerned with winning the ratings war. Than presenting a cohesive wrestling show, can, like if can, they, if they just sat. Oh, go ahead.
0: no, I'm sorry. I I thought you were No, you're fine. You're fine. My counterpoint, not my counterpoint, to add to what you were saying is, is the ratings were. I just watched, um, which is the point I wanted to bring up. So I'm glad you said what you said. I just watched wrestling with regret, and he was reviewing the 2nd to last WCW pay per view, and he went over the ratings, and the number was similar to the numbers that they're hitting on Wednesdays and Mondays, and I'm like. Those are the numbers they're fighting with. Those low-ass numbers should yeah. not should not be the fucking discussion every week.
1: Guys, Grocery Games is beating them. Like, what are we fighting over? Over when they beat Guys Grocery Games, then we can start having discussions about which one of them is better. Like, I'm a syndicated game shows where people cook has more of a draw and appeal to the average viewer than. Both either Orange Cassidy putting his hands in his pocket or Johnny Gargano in his ghost face, because they're not made for normal people. None of the stuff is made so that somebody who has never, who either has never seen wrestling or has an adverse opinion on wrestling, will change the channel and go, "Oh, that's kind of cool. I'm gonna stick around and watch this." But if you're turning, I hate to always bring it back to the Attitude Era. But if, and I hate the Attitude Era, by the way, so don't take this as me saying that I love the Attitude Era. But if I'm flipping the channels and I see that this dude with long black hair and uh, all black has a woman damn near crucified in the middle of the ring, I kind of want to see how this turns out. I kind of yeah. want to see what's going to He's going to stab him. Like, I want to see how this turns out. But if I've got two dudes wrestling, I don't give a fuck about that. So there's there's nothing appealing to people who don't watch wrestling. And I feel like that's the biggest problem with wrestling is that people push other people out of wrestling because they want it to be too much of this. I want wrestling should be this wrestling should be that we should have this amount of shows. It should be pure. It should be just this. It should be no wrestling is a variety show and wrestling is a craft that draws people in honestly based on its absurdity. So when people say that wrestling should be more realistic. Yeah. Okay. Okay. You, while you're punching me in the face, the first thing that I'm going to do is grab you by your wrist and shoot you off and watch you as you rebound to me. And my first thought is going to be, you know what? I'm going to jump over this nigga's head. Like, that's <laughs> not what you do in a real fight. Like, that's not, that's not real. I tried so once, I got like hit the balls. Realism. Yeah, I don't, I don't want to hear this realism talk where the dude has already dropped down, lead frog, hits off. No, that's not what happens in a real fight. But if, if we embrace the absurdity that is pro wrestling... I think that more people would be involved in pro wrestling, so that way you could get them to watch a thirty-minute, like classic pro wrestling match. But we're too involved in oh, the ratings should be this, and work rate should be this, and everybody's got to go twenty minutes, and everybody's got to be really proficient at every single move possible because that's the only thing that pro wrestling is—is as I drive, it's scaring the hoes. Dan, it is scaring the hoes. (laughs) And that is the problem in pro wrestling.
0: May I say I am, though, a fan of Pigtails, Joey Janela, and uh, Sonny Kiss being together.
1: It's it's fresh. It's something new. I'm not a big fan of Joey Janela, but I like the pairing.
0: Yeah, well, you'd be the 800th person to say that, and I understand. (laughs) Uh, I love Joey Janela, and he's always been real friendly to me, but I I catch it. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I just watched Sonny Kiss pull a table out of the uh, bottom of the ring to give it to Joey, and the, the camera angle was, oh. Thank
1: you. I, I like that we do those camera angles for Sunny too. That's I do so really appreciate great. that. But, but that's something different, right? Yeah. Like, imagine if, if that was, if, the, if you had a running angle throughout the show where segment one, it starts, and then it gets three other segments that end at a pretty cool conclusion at the end that rewards you for, for sticking around and watching the show. But also, if you're, like, the casual viewer and you see something that jumps out at you in, like, segment four right and this is a this is a 16 segment show and you hop into segment four or five and guess what by the time segment six comes, oh now you're part of the running narrative let me stick around a little bit something else cool happens right then there's a wrestling match and you might get bored but guess what here comes segment eight and segment eight is a recurring part of segment five and it's a concurrent story so you're like oh wait they're telling the story well, now i want to see how this ends i want to see what the ending is to this concurrent story well, let's put some absurdity in the middle somewhere. And then you've got your main event, which is a serious match or whatever you want to do. Well, guess what? Now you've hooked this person because there's going to be something in there they like or the story conclusion is going to be so fulfilling. Well, I'll tune in next week to see what happens because this is a cliffhanger and they did kind of leave me and we're in a pandemic. So let's – I'll give it another chance. Sure, But no, we, everything's got to be work great white people bullshit. It's – ask Craig,
0: it's – the, only, the most wrestling I watch is when we're doing the show. You know, I just, I'm trying. I do catch up on YouTube just so uh, I can you know, have a conversation with converse, conversation. I haven't even had any drinks yet. Conversation with <laughs> yes. Craig or whoever gets I just have a conversation. Um, final... I watch
1: one show. I watch one show. Yeah. Every week. Now. Uh, on top of indie stuff, so I watch all the indie stuff. But I mean, like as far as like TV wrestling, I watch one show, and uh, even when it was bad, I watched it. But Black People Loyalty, oh, SmackDown, I watched SmackDown. Uh, and when I say Black People Loyalty, it started on UPN, yeah. and that was the Nigga Station, and I have followed it all the way through from the start because for some reason, at least to me, I felt like that show has always been marketed to black people. Could it might it might be wrong? I might be completely wrong, but to me, it felt like Raw was for the people that had cable and for the white people. And you got all the cool stuff there, but SmackDown, oh, that was for the niggas. I love it. Of JBC and Uggs Luggs boots and and what's his name was there. Uh, the 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 Slam of the Week uh, by by uh, Funkmaster Flex. Like it just seemed like it was geared to black people. Uh, but yeah, I watched SmackDown and it it. SmackDown is by far away what I'm talking about when it comes to yeah. let's have a coherent story throughout the show. Sure. Let's sprinkle in some shit, but we're going to make sure that if we catch somebody, because it's on Fox and it has to, if we catch somebody scrolling channels, they're going to see something cool, and they're going to at least watch until the end of the next commercial break.
0: i never forget it, it, UPN was UPN and Star Trek.
1: Yeah. Yeah, by the way, you can watch Deep Space Nine uh, yeah. that comes <laughs> on Tuesdays. Uh, all this is one on one and Moesha and the Parkers and girlfriends. And by the way, Deep Space Nine is later in the week. You can <laughs> check oh, on we, that.
0: We also have this new show called Voyager. Check it out, derbs.
1: <laughs> and don't
0: forget, <laughs> and,
3: and don't forget, Homeboys in Outer Space.
1: Oh boy, Cleopatra twenty five twenty five also used to come on uh, UPN for a, for like a season and a half, and I well, thought gonna, that shit
0: was great. Going to need more information about Homeboys in Space.
1: Oh, you got it. Oh,
3: yeah. <laughs> Oh shit, really?
0: <laughs> you both said the same thing in a different order. I'll have to check this out after we're done.
3: Yeah, it, it's it's crazy how they'll uh, they'll cancel a good a good phone? show after six episodes, but Homeboys in Outer Space got a full season's worth of episodes.
0: Oh, Shasta
1: just... Mcnasty got three seasons, so we're we're just we're at this point where we're just picking quarters.
3: Now I oh, remember Shasta Mcnasty. Now hold yeah. on, Homeboys in Outer Space was a uh, Funkmaster Flex and uh, Daryl Bell, who was uh, Ron Johnson in a uh, mm-hmm. different world, and they were a Homeboy. The title says it all. Really, I can't. Uh, <laughs> Can't really really <laughs> expound on that, Chris. I will say that if you if if you want to uh, to check out Raw, uh, what's going on with the Hurt Business uh, has done more for black wrestlers than uh, any heel group, and they're the best heel group on, on television for for me. But uh, I catch even, them on
1: clips in pay per view, and I love the Hurt Business.
3: Yes, uh, why they don't have all the belts, I don't know right now. Maybe that'll change from after this Sunday's pay per view, but. That's really where it should go, and where the the direction of the because uh, you're talking about a cohesive storyline, having those having the hurt business involved in every like at least three or four different segments, and we're all the three hour show, so you got a lot of time to fill up. Having those guys run roughshod yeah. through everyone during the course of a show would do wonders for a your storytelling and b. Um You've got four guys that that can go, and not only are you'll be rewarding your your longtime uh, veterans that have been there and are now in their mid 40s, namely MVP Shelton and uh, Bobby uh, Lashley, but Cedric Alexander, who needed some type of push somewhere because a guy that good needs to be on TV every week, and he doesn't have to talk now because you got MVP there. So um, he can just, he can be the worker of the, of the, of the four. And so, yeah. you know, the,
0: the fact that we, <laughs> and this will be the last comment and then we're going to, we're going to end this uh, popsicle. Um, the fact that the timeline between me telling you, Cedric Alexander is going to WWE to you still saying, God, he still needed to push is fucking mind boggling on <laughs> itself. Chris oh. is laughing because he knows why. Makes no fucking sense. I have my that feeling. Carrie,
1: too, five, with two other people for like a year and a half. It was the Cedric Alexander show featuring Buddy Murphy and Ali with special appearances from Tony Nese and Akira like, was there. That was the show.
0: Tony that Nese is another guy. He's exactly what Vince wants. He looks like <laughs> fucking Adonis. He could go with anybody. I've seen that dude Wrestle so many places. Cedric Alexander, too. I'm putting them together. And, and we're, we're not pushing him.
1: You know what it was with Tony Nese? I think, and I don't want to make it a height thing, but I look at Fabian it probably Eichner. probably was. Right? He probably is. I look at Fabian Eichner, though, right? Where they signed him and he said, Yeah, I'm going to get fat. And then I'm going to get built. And I'm not going to be anywhere near this cruiserweight shit ever again because he saw where the, the tide was turning. And he saw that he had no faith in that division. He said, "You know what? I'm gonna go gain 40 pounds, and we're not doing this cruiserweight shit ever again." And now he's off with Imperium. And granted, they're you know they're 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 greatly on hold because of what's going on. But like before that, no, they was a staple on NXT UK. They had just moved to NXT. Like good for him for realizing that this cruiserweight he would have been relished off to. He would still be in 205 Live. Tony needs is still on 205 Live.
0: Bill it's, long insulting. Insulting. it's insulting. It's he insulting to both men. Original. And that's that's too many years.
3: Welcome back, gentlemen and ladies, another fine edition of the extension of the HIAC Talk Radio Wrestling Podcast. My name is Craig Legans, and joining me this week will be uh our regular co host, Dan Law 83. Again Kalachiko, and joining us for the first time, and hopefully not the last time, Chris Kazama. He of the Fight Club with the one in it. Uh, I'm going to take these gentlemen back uh, to a time when wrestling was available in all 50 states, where uh, titles were called belts, and uh, when organizations and territories respected one another and worked with each other to promote the best possible product they could back when sports entertainment was indeed professional wrestling. Uh, this week in wrestling history um some historic things happen. And thank, thank God I'm calling this segment the wrestling historian because some <laughs> historic things yeah. happen.
0: Yeah.
3: Uh, we're gonna go back to December 10th, 1972. Uh Kansas City, Kansas. Uh, George Scrap Iron Gadaski went to a 10 minute draw with a young man making his professional wrestling debut. So, on December 10th, 1972, George Scrap Iron Gadaski went to a 10 minute draw with some guy calling himself the Nature Boy, Ric Flair. <laughs>
0: ah, I knew there was a.
3: <laughs> Hook to this <laughs> the, the very Ric Flair we're talking about In a previous uh, edition of um, HIAC Talk uh, Radio talking about the age of Ric Flair And how that was his gimmick Well he made his pro wrestling debut December 10th 1972 And the rest As we know Is history Slightly slightly. slightly. Uh, and uh, Ric Flair Wrestled on his on that very date on his very birthday uh all the way up until 2012 i believe so almost 50 years of wrestling um it started on that day december 10th 1972 exactly three years later on that same day december 10th 1975 the nwa heavyweight champion jack briscoe defended his nwa title in miami in miami beach florida Unfortunately, that would be the last time that Jack Briscoe would hold the NWA title because he would lose it that day to Terry Funk. And Terry Funk uh, would win his first and only World Heavyweight Championship on December 10th, 1975. Now, Terry would hold that bell for about 15 months, but Terry Funk's reputation was made because everywhere Terry Funk went after that, And as long as he wrestled well into the 2000s uh, where it was NWA, WWF, ECW, uh, Terry Funk made his mark, but he was always referred to as a former world champion. Uh, But Terry Funk only held the NWA title one time and one time only. And it happened December 10th,
0: 1975. As much as the list of champions Legends that were never a champion is fascinating. Him being only in the one-time club is extremely mind-boggling to me, even to these years later. Considering how many times that dude reinvented himself (air quotes) because he just was nuts. Um, I just it baffles me. He's a one-time champion. It's Terry, goddamn Funk, and a one-time champion just never. It's so weird to say to me. It's as weird as saying Roddy Piper was never world title. What? yeah and 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 same with dory uh
3: dory funk junior was for many the standard uh of wrestling in the uh in the late 60s early 70s right after luthez uh dory funk junior kind of picked up that mantle as being the uh the the one and perfect wrestling machine as the nwa champion and he held the the title longer than anyone in a generation he held it for 4 years but dory funk junior was only a one time champion
0: it's insane to me
3: it is insane. I, one one of the teams we were just talking about. Uh, one of the people we lost. We lost one half of the greatest tag team of all time, the Road Warriors. The Road Warriors put the NWA on its back, and they were the best tag team in the NWA, but were only NWA tag team champions
0: once. <laughs> That's yeah. Okay, that, <laughs> that doesn't make sense. Crazy.
3: Yeah, not every year a title, but only in the the standard bearer in the NWA tag team, but only held it once. Uh, speaking of first, uh, December thirteenth, and sorry, I have to put on the glasses now because I'm getting old. I'm talking. I don't know class. what you're talking
0: about. I don't wear glasses. I, have I don't to go know. Go back, your back in history.
3: <laughs> uh, December thirteenth, nineteen, uh, nineteen seventy-one. Uh, this is going to be a callback segment. Uh, the Japanese Wrestling Association, the JWA, as it were, uh, fired <laughs> one of its premier one of its premier wrestlers. Uh, because this wrestler was trying to uh, stage a coup, trying to take over the company. So the JWA, the Japanese Wrestling Association, fired Antonio Inoki. <laughs> uh, Antonio Inoki would later go on to found a New Japan Pro Wrestling. That same year, another of their top wrestlers in the JWA, Giant Baba, would also leave the Japanese Wrestling Association. And uh, Baba would form the uh, All Japan Wrestling Association that same year, and as coincidentally, the, uh, when J- the JWA lost Antonio Inoki and Giant Baba on December 13th, 1971, the JWA closed in 1973. Really? And uh, yeah, and but yet both New Japan Pro Wrestling, headed by Antonio Inoki. And All Japan Pro Wrestling, headed by Giant Baba, still exist.
1: But... It's, it's crazy to me that Inoki waited, because if I'm not mistaken, it's like July of 1972 that Inoki founded New Japan. So he waited like six months, seven months after leaving, after trying to stage this coup. was like, you know what? I'm just going to go make my own promotion. And I'm gonna make sure that people know that this is in 1972 because we're gonna make sure it's branded on everything till the end of time.
3: Yeah, and I I think what what had happened was Chris is that he was that uh, Inoki was talking to the head of and he's like I got this idea for a uh, we can still call it JWA but if we do it this way we bring in some American wrestlers and do it like that and the owner the the booker at the time just said no so. And Inoki just did what he was going to do anyway, but he wanted to do it in JWA, and he was ousted because of that. Um, So it's kind of like, well, if you listen to me, you'd still be in business.
0: (laughs) In the chat, so Inoki sat on that for months just steaming. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, I'm going to get him. That son of a bitch.
1: Uh,
3: that's, that And Dan, that might have been whoever the head of the Japanese Wrestling Association then might have been the the Japanese Vern Gagne because had he just like listened to a guy that knows what the hell he's talking about, <laughs> yes. he might still have been yeah. in business. I
0: was going to say, it's like Vern Gagne was like, eh, just get out of here. Oops.
3: Uh, hey, why don't you put the belt on the Hogan, Vern? He's outselling every wrestler in North America and he's got this great movie, Rocky 3 that's number one at the box office and you have him here in your your league, why not put the belt on them? Ah, it's okay. I know what the hell I'm doing. (laughs) Oops! (laughs) Whoops. Uh, Speaking of the AWA, I'm saying on that date. (laughs) December 13th, 1988. The AWA decided to get to, they were lagging behind, so why don't they get on the act of doing this pay-per-view thing? Since the WWF and the NWA were doing it, the AWA decided to have their very first pay-per-view. So they called in everyone, so it wasn't just the AWA, they called in the World Class, Memphis, uh, Japan, uh, the LP, uh, the, the LWA, the ladies, prof- LPWA, ladies Professional Wrestling World Association, all of them to be on this big pay-per-view called uh, with, uh, Super Clash, Super Clash 3. Um, and uh, that would be the AWA's initial foray into pay-per-view. And uh, for a lot of people, it was their first pay-per-view ever. It was Cactus Jack's first uh, pay-per-view ever.
0: Um, oh, wow. uh, I didn't it, know that's where, that's where he debuted.
3: That's his first. That was his first uh, pay-per-view. He, he was wrestling for Memphis at the time. Uh, actually, he was wrestling between Memphis and World Class. But um, that was his first uh, pay-per-view. A uh, uh, qu- uh, quirky little match there. Uh, Greg Gagne uh, won the AWA television title from Ronnie Garvin. Um, and it was weird because Ryan Garvin had already signed with the WWF and but didn't want to, uh, do a job for Greg Gagne on his way out. Uh, so
0: he always got to be like that.
3: Yeah. So, uh, they uh, had it, uh, he lost the belt in a count out to Greg <laughs> Gagne. So that's the way they worked their way around that. Of course, the main event was the, um, Uh, AWA heavyweight champion Jerry Lawler going up against the world-class heavyweight champion Kerry Von Erich, and a unified world title bout that had to be a winner, and um, they had to work their way around that because uh, Kerry uh, was going to do a a blade job for in this match with uh, Jerry to get some get some juice. Um, the thing is about Kerry, um, he got a little careless with the blade because if anyone has known Kerry for any amount of time, and Jerry Lawler and both Rick Flair said the same thing about Kerry. Uh, they both wrestled Kerry Vine Eric more than any two wrestlers ever. But both guys loved Kerry, great guy, but always impaired. So Kerry uh, in whatever state he was in before the match with the blade, Uh, that he had taped to his wrist had sliced open his bicep this was in the dressing room before the bout before anything so he was already bleeding a gusher so to start the bout Jerry had to attack him before the bell and slam his arm into the post to get the blood that was already gushing out of his, uh, his arm and his biceps and then when Kerry did actually blade himself during the match went way too deep and the finish of the match was Kerry had the iron claw on Jerry Lawler, whose shoulders were down for longer than three seconds. But the referee counted the, looked at the face of Kerry Von Erich and rang the bell and declared that Carry Von Erich was in no shape to continue. So Jerry Lawler was, was awarded the Unified Heavyweight Championship, the AWA and the World Class title, even though his shoulders were down. And, but Carry Von Erich had been bleeding too much, and the referee called the bell. He and Jerry Jarrett later on that year would buy world-class and effectively putting world-class out of business uh, and Jerry Lawler would keep the unified title and as being the only man to hold the AWA and the uh, world-class heavyweight championship. That bout was held in uh, Chicago, the UIC Pavilion, the same place that uh, the NWA had held Starrcade, uh, and the same place that the um, WWF had held the WrestleMania, WrestleMania Two, but on this particular AWA uh, bout, they only drew 1,672 fans <laughs> to that same arena, and that would be the last pay-per-view in the history of the AWA. Uh, <laughs> so the AWA Super Clash would be the first, last, and only AWA pay-per-view ever. Pat a thousand, one for one. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and uh,
1: could you imagine if that finish happened this year like how fans would react if someone has a submission and the other person is down for two seconds and the referee looks at the other person and is like hey, he's waiting too so much this is over could you imagine how Twitter would act on that finish right now
3: it, it was amazing and it was it was great booking because it saved both guys because Jerry Lawler could say I, I won but he was flat on his back and Kerry could say well I had him pinned, but the referee, you know, screwed me out of the decision. Uh, it was a great booking. As if unfortunately, no one saw it, and um, but it would be great <laughs> now. But it would be, yeah, yeah, Twitter, I agree, Chris. Twitter would explode if that kind of booking happened, if that kind of ending happened now. And it's the type of thing that doesn't get booked um, as much anymore. Uh, December 15th, uh, 1963. Uh, We talked about, we touched upon this previously in a previous uh, HIAC Talk Radio episode about um, uh, wrestling and and ratings, and uh, in Japanese wrestling in particular. Well, December 15th, 1963 was the death of a legend in Japanese wrestling, probably the most famous Japanese wrestler of all time. December 15th, 1963 was the, uh, the death of Ricky Dozan. Oh, yeah. Um, the father of pursue wrestling. You know, Dan, you and I have talked about uh, wrestlers or, or or what would make a good Dark Side of the Ring or a good movie. Uh, the story of Ricky Dozan is a movie in and of itself because of what this guy did and what this guy uh, accomplished in his short life in uh, professional wrestling. What he did for Japanese wrestling cannot be uh, understated because he pretty much... Started at all. Not only did he train Antonio Inoki and Giant Baba, the two men I, re- I mentioned before in this beginning of this segment, who would become the most popular, influential Japanese wrestlers of, of their generations, but he put Japanese wrestling on a whole n- nother level um, for a guy, especially for someone who was, who was Korean, who was born in Korea. He wasn't uh, Japanese. He moved to Japan later on, but he was a subject of intense racism uh, because of his Korean upbringing and didn't tell anyone where, his, uh, he, were, where he was born. He took on the, 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 um, the name. He, he was born Kim San, but he changed his name to match his uh, Japanese stepfather to Mitsuhiro uh, Momota. Mitsu, yeah, Mitsuhiro Momoto. Yes, you're was, correct. Uh, his, his Japanese name. Um, but when he would, he started off as a sumo uh, wrestler. And through his connections that he made in sumo wrestling uh, with the Yakuza, with the Japanese mob, he uh, got loans in, and he got to start his own wrestling organization. Uh, it was uh, Japan Pro Wrestling. This was in the early, the late 50s and early 60s. And after World War II... Having Wrestling was the national sport of Japan, and it wasn't until they started bringing American wrestlers over to fight Ricky Dozan, and Ricky Dozan was beating American wrestlers left and right, because remember, America, Americans, two Japanese were the villain, so having this man beat these American wrestlers one after the other made Ricky Dozan a hero in Japan. And to the point where he was a star of movies on TV all the time in gossip magazines. He did more movies than Hulk Hogan ever did in Japan and was uh, in scene with starlets in in Japan and uh, was a national national celebrity. When Ricky Dozan would wrestle on TV, they set up screens in parks so people could go and see them because there wasn't enough TVs in Japan in 1950. And you wanna talk about, we talked in the previous episode about ratings, about the ratings that AEW is getting and AEW and NXT would be getting compared to what TNA was getting in the same time slot. When uh, Ricky Dozan wrestled the Destroyer, Dick Byer in May of 1963 on Japanese TV, it drew a 67 rating
0: <laughs>
3: not a 6.7 not a 7.6 <laughs> a 67 that translates into 71 million people watching a wrestling match oh. on japanese tv
0: my eyes closed so hard i couldn't see when i opened them
3: yeah and that was in 63 when oh there was more re- there was more televisions in Jap- in japan then When he wrestled Luthez, Dan, when he wrestled Luthez in 1957, when Ricky Dozan wrestled Luthez, that did an 87 rating. Jesus fucking
0: Christ. Wow. Oh, man. There is a
3: statue to Ricky Dozan still in in Japan. Uh, Of course, uh, his his matter of death. Uh, He was partying. He was a drinker. Depending on who you asked, he either stepped on the foot of or a, someone of, from the Yakuza stepped on his foot. A brawl ensued, and Ricky was stabbed in the stomach. He uh, then went to a, um, a, uh, a women's clinic, and he called a gynecologist that he knew because that's how connected he was. And the woman came out and stitched him up, and he was good to go. And but was told as long as you don't put anything in your stomach namely alcohol Ricky you'll be fine um, legend has it that Ricky now that he was fine went out and continued his drinking and carousing and a week later he died from internal bleeding uh, his funeral was attended by the 12,000 people it was one of the largest uh, funerals for a public figure and. uh ever and uh, he like I said he still has a a, a statue uh, for him and, but this was the man that was five nine and two hundred forty pounds okay who probably wouldn't even make it a 205 line, 205 live now in today's wrestling but uh at five nine two hundred forty pounds Ricky Dozan was the a giant in Japanese wrestling history and will continue to be so and um, for the And for what he did as a Japanese wrestler Not only was he the biggest face in Japanese wrestling history But when he went to America, he was a heel uh, Because again, just like in America Jap, Jap, Japanese wrestler Japanese people were seen as bad guys anyway But thanks to his matches with Lucez, he turned into a face And, and Lucez was even gracious enough to trade wins with Ricky Dozan in, in Japan but Ricky Dozan also w- wore suits when he appeared on TV, and it was he, Ricky Dozan, who was the cocky, the first cocky heel champion that set the stage for men like Nick Bockwinkle, Ric Flair, uh, the Horseman, to be on TV with a championship belt wearing a suit. Uh, Ricky Dozan set the set the bar for that. Uh, so his his influence not just in Japanese wrestling, but in American culture. It was Ricky Dozan that brought American wrestlers over here for him to beat that paved the way for wrestlers like Terry Funk, like Stan Hansen, like Bruiser Brody, like Hulk Hogan, like Vader, to make a living in Japan because of Ricky Dozan. Uh, So we lost uh, December 15, 1963. We lost a legend, uh, Ricky Dozan's... uh, Name should not be forgotten. He was postures, posthumously awarded a spot in the WWE hall, hall of Fame, heavy air quotes, in 2017. But any wrestling Hall of Fame has to include Ricky Dozan for no other reason, for he was the most influential professional wrestler in any uh, country, United States or, or Japan, in professional wrestling history.
1: If you ever need to know how popular or how much, how loved Ricky Dozan is, just go to YouTube and type in uh, Ricky Dozan Wrestle Kingdom entrance in the video game where you will see him. The sky will open up and he will descend from heaven into the ring. And that is his entrance while heavenly music plays. It is the most amazing thing you'll ever see in your entire life. I believe it, Chris. Oh, my
0: God. Yeah, I didn't even know that was a thing. (laughs) Yeah, they have him in the
1: game. He's playable. He's uh, almost unbeatable in the game. And he literally uh, descends from heaven as his entrance.
3: Well, I think that's apropos for a wrestler, Ricky Dozan's stature, for what he did for professional wrestling and what he means to professional wrestling. And that, gentlemen and gentlemen, is a
0: Wrestling Historian. you do the outros, or you just stare at me? I'm
3: going to do the outro! Oh,
0: thank you. (laughs) I'm so confused. I was like...
3: (laughs) And you can find me, Craig Legans, on Facebook, Instagram, and on Twitter. C-R-A-I-G-L-I-G-E-O-N-S.
0: Hey, Dan, where can people follow you? Well, first, before they follow me, I do want to say a second thank you to uh, Chris for joining us this week for both episodes. This one was much quicker than the first one. You know, I, I try to keep episodes... You know, around an hour, but I, there was no way I was going to stop that conversation. Um, it was fantastic. And, of course, the, the door is open. You don't need to even kick it open. Just push it open with your finger And next time you want to come in. Um, with that being said, one more time this week, tell everybody where people follow you and Fight Club.
1: Uh, you can follow me at the Chris Kazama on Instagram and Twitter. You can follow Fight Club at P-A-W-D underscore WC. That stands for Pan-African World Diaspora underscore Wrestling Championship. You can follow us on uh, YouTube as well. If you are on YouTube, the Backyard Wrestling Historian thing, two years ago was my last Backyard Wrestling show that I booked and that is on YouTube. If you type in NBYWA, A A Cold Day in Hell, you will find people who are currently on the independent scene like K.A. Robinson, Christopher Andino, and several others who wrestled in there last Backyard Wrestling shows as well.
0: Follow me at Danlo83 on Twitter, on Facebook, on Twitch, on YouTube. Type in Danlo83 and you'll find me. You don't have to subscribe, but hit that follow or subscribe. Button. Well, I meant that... if I, Subscribe to YouTube. You don't have to subscribe on Twitch because then you pay, so just follow the other way around. Uh, 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 no, just kidding. Uh, <laughs> VLCNation.com Uh, On your smartphone, go to your podcast app, type in VOC Nation Radio Network to see all the uh, podcast episodes there, but watch them on Twitch, live here, or on YouTube, uh, and share. Please, tell everybody, stop on by. I swear, eventually, I'll say something funny. I know I'm funny. I made Chris laugh a few times. So you can't lie and say Dan's not funny. It's on record. It's on record now. Factory. Uh, Do it. Exactly. That's it. It's over. The game's up, folks. Can't lie to me now. <laughs> subscribe to <laughs> Stare Creepily as Matt says. Subscribe to Maxim. I'm not on Maxim. We're funny tomorrow. Yes, tomorrow night on Thursday nights on Twitch is Game Pass Thursday where we pick a random game and play it. Uh, most, most of us playing it for the first time, so join us then. For Craig Legans, for Chris Kazama, I'm Dan Calchico. Farewell and good night. and subscribe to the greatest wrestling podcast network in the world. Listen to HIAC Wrestling Podcasts today.
2: VOC Nation provides live daily streaming shows where fans have the ability to interact with the hosts and guests by phone call, email, and Twitter. VOC Nation hosts include the legendary Ken Resnick, who you probably remember from the AWA and WWE, former WCW performer, the Maestro,
0: Sometimes I cry. You have to tune in to find out why. And I also take your calls. I love chatting with you guys and seeing what the hell you guys are thinking. So meet me here on the VOC Nation. Be there or be square.
3: The worldwide leader in entertainment. This is the VOC Nation Radio Network.